is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There's only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's, that's it. One more. Get arrest! No! They saw your team put up zero effort. Wake up! Remember in the old days they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? They play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouth. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beanie. You're not even a has-been. You're a never-was. You're a never-was. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a new show of the Sports Lab Mouths. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Do you like the clown music? We got a lot to talk about today. <laughs> a lot to talk about today, as you all know. You can call us at 631-672-3108 is the number to call. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. And download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The reason why we had the clown music in the beginning of the show, well, there's a lot of clown stuff going on here in New York this weekend. And throughout the last week, we've been talking about sports. And we're going to get into that tonight. Absolutely. This is going to be a fun, fun show. At 10 o'clock, we'll be talking to Betsperts fantasy football and handicapping analyst John Daigle, who's been on our show three times. Fantastic, fantastic analyst. He's going to be joining us. And at 1030, at 10.30, we'll be talking to Nets Daily writer and reporter Chris Milholen. And he will not be in his Uber tonight. So that will be great. Because the last time we had him on the show, it was last year, and he was driving in an Uber doing his interview with us. So love Milholland. Did you, did you like Milholland? Yes, I did. I remember the last time, too. It was funny. I think it was like the week after Halloween, too. So when he came into the car, he came out of his car, out of his Uber after the game, into his house. It was like all dark. It was like a haunted house. It was, it was very interesting. But this time he'll be back settled in nicely. Entertaining, as always. And we're going to get into tonight. The New York Yankee fans, they like to throw bottles and like to attack players. And, and obviously, the press likes to attack, to attack the Yankees as well. I don't know why the press have been attacking the Yankees. They had nothing to do with their fans. And a little bit later in the show, we're going to get into that. Because I, I don't understand why the Yankees are getting attacked all over social media. Because of what the fans did. 20 fans threw bottles at the players. And, and by the way, Miles Straw should not have climbed up on the wall and attacked the fans. I understand he was upset. I understand he was trying to protect his, his teammates. But it, it was embarrassing. And the, the Yankee fans are embarrassing. But what the press was doing all over social media is just absolutely uh, dysfunctional. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, we will get into, in a little while, we'll get into the Nets and the debacle of the, I guess you could say the New York Mets, uh, Nets, I mean, or the Brooklyn Nets, who are just completely stupid. I, I mean, after the game, the stupid stuff that Kyrie Irving said, and I, we'll get into that. And, and Kevin Durant, I feel bad for Kevin because Kevin's never been swept in, in any playoff game. Right. And, and especially, he's never, been, he's never lost 
in four games in, in the first round of the playoffs. So it, it was definitely an embarrassing moment for Kevin Durant, especially going to the Brooklyn Nets and trying to win championships over there. So we'll get into that in just a few moments. We'll get into the NBA playoffs, uh, which a lot of interesting games as we've been watching the Bucks and the Bulls and, and obviously Middle, Middleton being out for a significant amount of time could cost – uh, the Bucks this series, but it doesn't look like uh, it doesn't look like they're going to lose this series. So we'll get into that in just a few moments as well, and throughout the NBA playoffs. Again, we'll get into the Yankees and the Mets this weekend, and, and really where the Mets are, which they're playing fantastic baseball, and the Yankees who are starting to pick up their game. They they swept the Indians, uh, even though there was so much controversy over there. So we'll, You finally we'll, get to celebrate a sweep, and all of a sudden you got these lunatic fans. Well, and but they're not. Listen, the the fans are crazy. There's no question. The Yankee fans could probably uh, need to you know need to take a step back and realize that they shouldn't be doing the things that they're doing. But again, the players should not be climbing walls and embarrassing themselves either. So, and, and we have a lot to talk about with that. Uh, we will also get into the NFL draft tomorrow. We'll get into our NFL draft uh, post. Uh, what, what are we doing tomorrow? Mock draft. Well, are we doing the mock draft? Mock tomorrow? draft show. Yes. Uh, well, we're not doing the whole show mock draft. We've been doing not the whole show, but a good portion of it. Yeah. So we'll do our mock draft. I didn't know we were doing our mock draft tomorrow. So that's news to me. But uh, we will get into our, you know, and we have a bunch of people coming on the show to do the mock draft with us. So that'll be fun. Um, and so we'll get into the NFL draft, which will be Thursday, my birthday, ladies and gentlemen, I will be 40, 40 years old. You know how old I'm going to be? I'm as old as dirt. Okay. So I, to me, I can't wait until May 21st, my birthday bash and everybody is invited. Anybody that listens to the show, anybody that's, uh, all over the country and wants to come here to Long Island and celebrate my birthday, they're more than welcome to. I will post it all over social media. It's going to be a birthday that we'll never forget. It always is. You've been to my birthday parties. Oh, yeah. Parties. Oh, they're the greatest. They're exciting, and everybody gets wasted. I don't – by the way, I don't drink. I'm not a drinker, but there is one time in a year I get drunk, and that will be my birthday. So – to celebrate uh, my 40th. How wonderful. Um, we will also get into some hockey conversation as well as the New York Rangers are getting ready for the playoffs. And the Islanders will be sitting home playing golf or, I, I don't know, feeding their fish or something like that. I don't know. Or they'll be joining the Vegas Golden Knights soon, the way they're playing. Well, that's a, that's a whole other story. And fans that like to attack me all over social media. It, it is so funny. I did pick the Nets to win that series. I did. And, and the fact that so many people have sent me emails and, and so many different things through Twitter, uh, you know, private Twitter, uh, I guess, what do they call it, DMs? DMs yeah. uh, they sent me a DM, and a bunch of people didn't like what I had to say throughout this series, but whatever, that's their opinion. This is what I feel about that. That's what I feel. <laughs> Anyways, that's a whole other story. So if you guys want to call the show, you're more than welcome to call the show. So why don't we get into it? The Brooklyn Nets. And the Brooklyn Nets were built to win championships. Sean Marks came here to really save what Billy King ruined from the beginning, building a young basketball team over the years. And they've done this, and they've thrown it away. They brought in Kevin Garnett. They brought in Paul Pierce. They brought in all these, the Jet. They brought in all these veteran players, and they couldn't get over the hump. They couldn't get out of the first round. Last year, they go all the way to the Eastern Conference Championship to lose against Milwaukee. And, and they didn't have Kyrie Irving really in that series. They didn't have James Harden in that series. It was all Kevin Durant. You had a healthy Kyrie Irving practically 
uh, after he came back from the COVID situation all year. Well, it wasn't all year, half of the year. Then you have Kevin Durant, who's been fighting injury all season long, and James Harden all of a sudden wanted out. He goes to Philadelphia, you make a trade, you bring in Ben Simmons, you think Ben Simmons is going to be a part of this series, at least in game number four, and you don't see him at all. And this team, let's be honest, when you look at this team as a whole, it's really built with two players, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And a lot of ex-NBA players and really NBA players right now in the league say they're the best duo in the NBA. Now, let me ask you this question. You're the best duo in the NBA. And yes, Ben Simmons is not in this series. How do you get swept by the Boston Celtics? Now, I understand Boston Celtics have been one of the hottest teams in basketball in the second half. Jalen Brown's been fantastic. All season long, he was an all-star. Tatum really didn't pick up his game until the second half. They found a great player in Williams after five or six years of being in the NBA. And they have the defensive player of the year. You know who I'm talking about. This team played like a team in this series. That is why they knocked off Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. You could sit here all day and try to figure out why this team couldn't keep up with a young Boston Celtic team, which, by the way, has not been good over the last couple of years in the playoffs. Jalen Brown has not been a good playoff player throughout the playoffs in the last couple of years. Tatum has. Marcus Smart this year really stepped up as a leader of this team, became the defensive player of the year, really took his game to another height. We look at this series now, and you wonder, what is this team going to be in the offseason? Is Kyrie Irving going to go somewhere else? Because you know we've seen him cry and gone from one team to another team to another. Kevin Durant? Kevin Durant could opt out this year and leave Brooklyn. Now, I, I did read a story uh, just a few moments ago, and it says, Kyrie Irving wants to manage the Nets. <laughs> You hear that, Speedy? Manage the Nets? What is he going to teach all these kids? Hey, the earth is flat, everybody. This is why. I have no idea why the Nets would ever give the reins to Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving, yes, he is very soft-spoken. He is a fantastic NBA player. When he came back and he played this year, he averaged almost 27 points a game. He averaged close to eight assists a game and, what, three or four rebounds. He is one of the best point guards in the NBA. There's no question that he is. And he's won. He's won a championship. He was a main offensive source when they went to the finals with LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. But Kyrie Irving has not, I repeat, has not been the player that the Nets thought he was going to be when they brought him here. Kevin Durant... He has been a fantastic resource because a lot of people want to play with Kevin Durant. He's a fantastic player. He's one of the best offensive players in the NBA. The Nets depended on him too much in the last two years, and they're wearing him out. Remember, Kevin Durant is 33, 34 years old. Do I still think he's on the top of his game? Do I think he's a top five, top six player in the NBA? Yes. At one point this year before he got hurt, he was a top two 
He was an MVP candidate. But this bench is washed up. And why Sean Marks, when they traded and gave away their future, a.k.a. Billy King, and they bring James Harden here from Houston, why the hell did they trade him at the trade deadline? I understand he didn't want to be there. But if you have James Harden in this series, do they win this series? I know James Harden isn't a great playoff player. He hasn't been proven. But you put James Harden in, in this roster, on this roster, this roster is much better than the Boston Celtics, Speedy. Yeah, and the Nets are suffering from a classic case of what I like to call decade javu. You just did a good job rebuilding nicely, getting some good players after Billy King's Although trading off all those piece, draft picks to get horrible. all those veteran pieces. Absolutely horrible. Good players, too. Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie, etc. Good players. And half of them are right now playing for Cleveland. Yep. Some of them are in Cleveland. Some of them are in Dallas now. I mean, they're all over the place, and they're still in the playoffs. Or they made it just as far in the playoffs, and the Nets are now out and didn't even win a playoff game. The Nets spent all that money, all those draft picks, just to win the same amount of games in the playoffs as the Knicks did this year. And what do the Nets do? What do they do with Steve Nash? <laughs> what do they do with him in the offseason? He was horrible in this series. A guy that coached by a, a rookie coach. A coach that was in his coaching staff last year. On his coaching staff last year. A rookie coach for the Boston Celtics. Where, by the way, the Boston Celtics in the first half of the season weren't even a playoff team. They barely, I think they were the 14th to 13th seed in the Eastern Conference. For a while, they were 11-12. They were below the Knicks. Horrible. That's how bad they were. And then all of a sudden, it shoot all the way up to 3 at 1.2 and 1. What do you say as an organization? And Sean Marks, I don't want to hear any excuses. I, I really don't. You traded away your future for James Harden. James Harden is now playing for Philadelphia, which, by the way, is going to the second round, which you are not. And it doesn't matter what Philadelphia does now because they have gone farther than you. So what do you do as an organization in the offseason? Now, you have two max players, which you don't know if they're coming back. Kyrie says he wants to come back. He, he has something to prove, and he wants to give the fans a, a chance to cheer for a great team. Listen, how do you go into the playoffs? At, what, what were they, a seventh or eighth seed? They were a seventh seed. They were a play-in team, and they almost blew that game against Cleveland. They were up big in the first half, almost blew that game. They, then they play against the Celtics, who were the best team in the Eastern Conference in the second half of the season. No question. But still, there's no excuse for them to get swept. They have too much star power for them to get swept. And it comes to the point where they just don't have anything else besides those two guys. And whether, again, those chance those heckling got into Kyrie Irving's head in the next two games. I don't know, but that's not an excuse for him. Kevin Durant, like you were saying, never got sweeped, never, get, never get swept in the first round and never got swept at all in a playoff series. It was so uncharacteristic of him, what they were, what he was going through. I feel bad for him. I really do feel bad for him because at the end of the game, he hugged all the players. He has a, a good relationship with Jason Tatum. Uh, actually, Jason Tatum went to a couple of camps where uh, he was a rookie, not even a rookie player, before he even went to college, played for Duke. Right. He was a high school player. He knew who Kevin Durant was, and he went to some of Kevin Durant's uh, clinics. Mm -hmm. So they know each other very, very well, and Kevin Durant is nothing but happy for Jason Tatum. But to me, when you're a superstar player and you're at the tail end of your career, you want to take the Nets to that next higher height, 
And this team is just not there. And that's why we played the clown music in the beginning of the show. Because you want to know something? The Nets are a bunch of clowns. And just when you think they're just getting talent here, they, oh, just, God, mess, they just mess it up in other ways. We've talked about it in many different instances with the Mets. We've talked about it in many instances with some of, the, some of the New York teams, the big market New York teams in football and hockey. Sometimes they do that. And all of a sudden, they just don't have the either the team culture or the front office decisions. Now the Nets are going to be, if... Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant don't come back, or one or the other, even so too. You're going to be stuck with a lot of money issues, a lot of salary, a lot of lack of draft pick issues, and nobody's going to want to go there. I mean, Kevin Durant, how much leeway does he have? How much pull does he have as a player? Maybe to go there, that's another question. But he could opt out at any time. Kyrie Irving, yeah, he could say he wants to cover the back of the Nets. He said the same thing for the Celtics, and hence the few that started with the fans. Look at this roster in game number four. Look at what they did. 47 minutes for Kevin Durant, 39-9-7. Great. And that's what we expect for Kevin Durant. He should have been doing that the whole series. Then you have guys like Bruce Brown Jr., two points. He played well the last two games. Two points, two assists, two rebounds in 24 minutes. You, you need to get more from your bench. Andre Drummond, you bring in from a trade. Everybody thought, oh, this guy's going to be a great rebounding success story going all the way from where he was to now the Nets where they need rebounding. They need inside presence. Well, four minutes, one rebound. Wonderful. Kyrie Irving, 45 points, 20 points, two, uh, five rebounds, five assists. Kyrie Irving needs to do more. He needs to put up a 30 count. There's no reason why Kyrie Irving didn't show up in this game. And by the way, he was forcing shots at certain parts of this game. And this, they had a chance to win with one minute and 15 seconds. And by the way, Jason Tatum got fouled. He fouled out with two minutes and 15 seconds left of the game. And you were only down by three. How do you let... Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart outplay you guys. You're the two best, by, by the way, tandem in the NBA. How do you let them outscore you at the end of the game? Very, very sad that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving did not recognize that kind of thing either because the Nets were on a big roll before that too. They were on an 8 nothing run. Jason Tatum fouls out. They make one more or two more threes. And all of a sudden, they have them dribbling, taking their time, get the ball stolen. And then they do it again. It's just it's just deja vu. It's just they're not doing it right in these situations. Doggy doo-doo. And That's they, what I call it. And they've had trouble with this kind of thing. Doo-doo. Winning these closed games now. They did it in the playoffs with Milwaukee, too. Every game they lost was a closed game. When they were blowing it. Remember that they were blowing out Milwaukee in the Barclays Center? Every, and then the, when they get battle-tested? They crumble down the stretch, and the Nets just have had that problem. Decade job. Fire Steve Nash. That's what should have been the chant in Brooklyn. Fire Steve Nash. Fire Steve Nash. Horrible. Horrible coaching throughout this series. He looked horrible, and he should not have that job. I don't care if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving kissed his rear end. I don't care. He doesn't belong there. He shouldn't have became the coach of the Nets. That's the problem where this team is. This is where this team lies. And Sean Marks, he's got one more year left. One more year left to put this team together to win a championship. If he can't do that, he's done. He ruined this team just as much as Billy King did. Oh, yeah. It's getting to that point, too, because they try the LeBron heat strategy without the LeBron part of it, too, where they just got all these scrap heap veteran guys, and all guys got old all at once. Where was Blake Griffin in these playoffs? Oh, please. Barely anywhere. Please. He was like the ninth guy off the bench when he was thought of as maybe the fourth guy off the bench last please, year. Please, Blake Griffin. <laughs> Andre Drummond. DeAndre Jordan. All of these just veteran guys. Patty Mills. 
nothing. Nothing to show for it. Seth Curry played well. Give him some credit. Like you were saying, Bruce Brown did have his moments, but I mean, that, those are the guys you're trusting. It doesn't work unless you have LeBron and his core of the big three. Like, it's the only system where that's, that system has ever worked. Even these other loaded teams that we've seen, that's the only instance where it's worked. Bringing in these guys on minimum salary contracts is with the, with any LeBron team. It doesn't work with the, Yeah, Kyrie was on the Cavs. Okay, but Kyrie and KRD together? Nope. Not going to work. Uh, ben says, Bucks to repeat. Well, they got to get Middleton back. It's possible. Carl says, Kyrie trying to be like Elon Musk. <laughs> By the way, $44 billion he buys Twitter this past day. Last, last night. Mm-hmm. Yesterday. Within 24 hours, he bought Twitter for $44 billion. Congratulations to Elon Musk. I think it was a great move by him, by the way. But go ahead. Uh, Josh says, I mean, they're going back to Toronto for game six. <laughs> don't, don't give Philly anything just yet. Well, if there's anyone that could blow a 3 nothing lead, who knows? It might be Doc Rivers. And you would be laughing at it hard if Doc Rivers were to blow a 3 nothing lead. We know you... <laughs> and by that is way, an accurate depiction of what Errol thinks of Doc Rivers coaching, everybody. By the way, that's my new app, the farting app. It's a wonderful app, ladies and gentlemen. Look at it. Ooh. Like that. Ooh, who likes? We should vote. Which is the better fart? I like it. Ooh, I like that one. The fart polling. Uh, it is a poll, that's for sure. Uh, and the Nets are going to do a lot of that now uh, this off season because they're going to have to figure out what this team is and what this organization organization is going to be moving forward. Because to me, it's an absolute embarrassment, and to get knocked out by a team that honestly, as much as I look at the Boston Celtics and the great year that they had, they the Nets on paper because of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. We're the better team. They got outplayed by, to me, the better tandem. And that's the, that's the way it looks like. And, that, and there's no excuse right now. Kevin Durant made no excuses, but Kyrie Irving saying that we need to coach, we need to manage this team. Nobody needs you to manage a team, Kyrie. Nope. Nobody Please needs you to manage a team. don't ever tell anybody that you want to manage this team because anybody that thinks the earth is flat or whatever the heck you think, and I know you spoke highly of yourself in the offseason, and even when COVID was going on, I respect everything that you said. To me, it is an embarrassment at the end of this game where you can sit there and honestly say that you played your best. You get swept by a Boston Celtic team that, let's be honest, are just maybe a little bit better than you are. Even without Ben Simmons, a little bit better than you. You have all these veteran players. And Blake Griffin, please, retire, please. <laughs> Horrible. I mean, come on. I mean, what did, what did they call him over there in Clipperville? What, what did they call him? Lob City. Lob City. Lob City. How about Underground City? That's where you belong. I mean, seriously. Maybe he'll join Doc Rivers' coaching staff oh, as a please. puppet head assistant. By the way, let's go into Philadelphia. They were up 3-0 in that Toronto series. And somehow Toronto wins two games in a row. And right now, they're crawling in that series. And I'm telling you right now, James Harden needs to wake up. Because this team, as much as, as, much as you look at Philadelphia as a Joel Embiid, Maxi type of team, James Harden was brought there to help them get into the Eastern Conference Finals. They're squeaking and possibly will squeak in to the second round. And if they match up against Miami and they get healthy and they, Olin Depot comes back, forget it, Speedy. Forget yeah. it. They have... Depth galore, Miami. That absolutely. I, I know the Sixers; they have better depth than they have in years past, but it's still not Miami level depth. And it's also Eric Spolstra's defensive system that has worked very well. Now, Toronto's defense is good. I'm not denying that, but still, Miami's defense has been le- lethal for years. And you guys are putting up, <laughs> outside of Joel Embiid, putting up 20 points. James Harden 15, Tobias Harris 16. I love that. Outfit. Tyrese Maxey 12 in that game. This is a home game. Keep that in mind. 
those are the numbers you're putting up against that. A, a young team that a lot of people were surprised were a five seed in the Toronto Raptors, a team that's coming back from down three to three to one. Yeah, Miami, who's winning games without their top players or their guys playing injured. You have no Jimmy Butler today, and they're winning against Atlanta. Yeah, that's the team you're trying to play against in the next round. Yeah, uh. good luck, even if you do survive this series. But it's Doc Rivers. Who knows? There's still a chance he could blow it. He's uh. blown 6-3-1 leads before. I wouldn't doubt that Doc Rivers blows this. I Everybody knows... Anybody that knows me when it comes to basketball knows that I don't like Doc Rivers. I, I don't. He won that championship with Boston really because of the talent he had on the team. Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen at the primes of their career. That's why they won. Now, Tom Thibodeau was the defensive-minded coach for that team. They were the best defense in the league. The best defense in the playoffs was because of Tom Thibodeau. Now, Doc Rivers is compared as one of the best defensive minds in the NBA as a coach. Well, why isn't this team playing defense? Why are they giving up over 105 points to a team that really has Pascal Siakam? That's it. That's all they have offensively, really, on paper. The only person that scares me on that team is Siakam. This is a young team for Toronto that lacks the star power. There's no reason for them to be having more double-digit scorers in a particular game. Siakam. That'll be the O to Doc Rivers nightmare. Siakam. Uh, I got a song for him, you know. Yeah, there you go. Like, they, they could be the uh, that could be the halftime entertainment if the Raptors I don't know. come. They back. wouldn't hire me to be the entertainment. They'd probably throw me away. I mean, well, and then again, uh, they also have Drake sitting on well, the sideline all the time. That's true too. <laughs> I mean, and you have James Harden. He's a clown himself. So I mean, you have a bunch of clowns in this series. So why not? I, I, I could be the best clown of them them all. So whatever. But that's maybe series... you could have James Harden's beard muffle. It. Oh please, <laughs> give me a break. The, by the way, he's better off having a Kardashian on the side than playing by himself. I mean, seriously. He did better when Chloe was his girlfriend than what he's doing right now in the playoffs. I, he, has, he cannot take any pressure. James Harden is terrible when he's under pressure. And then there's the Miami series where Miami is the better team. And, and there's no And Trey, Trey Young had to do, like, Superman stuff in game number four to win that game, which Miami had a chance to sweep them at what? what, what? 115, 130, one minute and 30 seconds left of the game. They had a lead. Miami had a lead, a three-point lead, and they coughed it up to the one player you don't want to cough it up to. And and I, I do not believe Atlanta's going to come back in this series. I don't. Miami's too talented. Jimmy Butler's on a high level right now. He, at the, two weeks before the season ended, he was one of the best players in the NBA. In the playoffs right now, he's averaging close to 30 points. I mean, and he's one of the best defensive perimeter players in the NBA. So I expect Miami to win this series. But you cannot let, let Atlanta get confidence. We've seen what they did last year in the playoffs. We don't, we don't want to see that again. Nope. No, and the Heat are so far not allowing that to happen right now. They're right now up in Game Five by eight points right now without Jimmy Butler and without Kyle Lowry. It's the young guys stepping it up, and Oladipo finally back nineteen points as well. Just shows you how much depth this Miami Heat has, team has, and just a new identity that it's different than much different than even two years ago when they made the finals and they were they were a potent shooting team. They had the defense, but they were a potent shooting team. They're not as good three point shooting this year, but they're very good in other areas too. And they have just all these random guys stepping up and making a difference. This is going to be a very tough team for anybody to knock out, even in the Western Conference. Absolutely. The way they're, the way they're playing right now. Uh, ben says Bucks and six against the Celtics. Uh, Josh is saying, I'm putting Tatum in that superstar category now. 
Uh, Udoka was absolutely a, Udoka was a absolutely. top assistant for Brooklyn Nash last year. And let Mentioned him, that. Yep. And let him go to Boston to kept Nash. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like worst the, move by the Brooklyn Nets <laughs> in the offseason. That sounds like the Sean Marks way of thinking. Mm. <laughs> Carl says they know how to. They have no clue how to utilize Patty Mills. It was miserable. Mm-hmm. Josh is saying. Meanwhile, the excuse for Kyrie fasting is comical. Brown was doing the same fast as Kyrie and didn't seem affected. <laughs> by the way, happy birthday to Josh. By the way, yes. Uh, Fantastic. Uh, how old are you, Josh? I, I, I forget my age. I'm turning 40. Josh and me are like four days apart when it comes to birthdays. Yep. Shout out to my Taurus buddy over there. Happy birthday to Josh Silverberg. Uh, many, many more, many, many more to come. He, he just had a son, so I wish nothing but uh, my utmost respect to him and his family for his birthday. I wished him happy birthday. I called him for his birthday. So, uh, happy birthday. But- Carl, Carl says, Eurostep beard drag, Eurostep beard drag. Yes, and getting away with traveling at average four times a game. So, Celtics D has been locked down this series. Uh, uh, Ribbit. Yes. Uh, Ribbit. Jeff was mentioning the Yankee fan stuff, which we'll get well, into in the next segment. We'll get into segments. the Yankees, Jeff. I know you want to throw the Yankees under the bus. So do the, so do the press. I mean, it's so crazy. Blame the Yankees because the fans, 20 fans are throwing bottles on the field. Yeah, okay, let's do it. Anyways, go ahead, Speedy. Uh, was, uh, he also says the, the Knicks fans also were stuck. Yeah, New York fans, a lot of New York fans have had their issues. It's not just the Yankee fans. I mean, it's the Yankees. It's hard. Uh, it's, it's not the Yankees organization. Well, the Nets fans can't have issues because they don't have any to begin with anyway. So they just have to. Let's, just, just, bl- let's just blame Brian Cashman. It's his fault. Brian Cashman had nothing to do with it. So let's blame Brian Cashman because there was not enough security on the field. And that's why it happened. Give me a break. Did, did anybody think that this was going to happen? We'll get into that in just a few we got into that a little bit, but the Nets fans don't have anything to complain about because they're fairly ready to begin with. And by the way, Milwaukee, Milwaukee should win this series. They're yeah. up three to one. Chicago had a chance, especially losing uh, Milwaukee, losing Middleton for a significant amount of time for almost six weeks. This is their chance to really step forward. And by the way, DeRozan again does not show up in a game, and and that's that has been his really his spiel, his his thing, his whole career in the NBA playoffs. He has been horrible. When he was on Toronto, he never showed up in the playoffs. And now he's doing it again. He had one good game in this whole series. And you cannot do that against Milwaukee, who, by the way, are the champions. And they have the best player, who I think is the MVP of the league, yeah. Mr. Freak himself. Yes, and he's played like it in this series, too. He hasn't had a bad game yet. He has barely had made any bad shots. He's even making threes. He's making jump shots now, which is not he's even a his freak. forte. Yeah, I'm not a singer, by the way. But, yes, you know, please don't be Rick James. <laughs> could I cut a super freak? That, you could. That, you could probably should, super freak. That, that should be that should be a song, Super Freak. There that, you go. You could sing every the, time he you scores. Could, super you could, Freak. You could sing that along with your James Harden anthem in, oh, or in Toronto or whatever. Give you me were, a break. <laughs> you were, you were I should just play the Kardashian song every time that James Harden scores. That might. <laughs> That might get him aroused or something. Maybe, maybe I mean, James seriously. Harden and Ben Simmons Horrible. should have a double date with them. No, I think he would. I mean, how many NBA players have they dated, the Kardashians? I mean, seriously, from top to bottom, I think they've all dated at least five or six of them. Yes, but Chris Humphreys and Tristan Thompson aren't invited. Oh, give me a break. Hey, Humphreys was a decent player for the Nets. He was. He was a good rebounder. Back in the day, like 10 years ago. When it, was it wasn't him that Bro- long with Kim, by the way. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> it was like him. That was the uh, him and Brooke Lopez carrying the team Nets. I mean, how many times? 
mom says Kim have to like get married to figure out who she wants to be with. Now that she's with Pete Davidson, how long is that going to last? It last is she going to marry him too? <laughs> That's about to uh, James Harden also had that rapper that put a curse Family. on him too, which was pretty funny. Oh my god, I forget his name. I think it was like eight years ago, which was also pretty funny. Well, let's uh, let's have a nice little spark with the whole Kardashian family. Anyways, uh, let's go into the Western Conference, Phoenix and the Pelicans. I am not surprised that this series is two to two. Uh, they the Pelicans smell blood. They they smell blood really throughout this series. As soon as they lost Devin Booker, as soon as Devin Booker is lost for the next two to three weeks, they knew they had a chance. And now they're playing at a really good pace. Their speed of the game. They're a great shooting team. And you see Phoenix. They can't get enough points, and they're depending too much on Chris Paul's offense. And they're not getting secondhand offense. And if they don't get secondhand offense, the Pelicans could surprise the world and knock Phoenix off. It's amazing how well their young depth has outplayed the Suns' young depth in this game, in this series, on a consistent basis, too. We've seen spurts from the Suns like they were last year with Mikael Bridges, with Cam Johnson, guys like that. But these guys are consistently playing well. A lot of them are rookies, too, that they have on this team. Herb Jones and Trey Murphy and guys like that. Mm. You got Jonas Valanciunas. You were talking about struggling Raptors Love in the that playoffs. Jonas he was one of those guys that also struggled in the playoffs for Toronto. He's rebirthing himself nicely with New Orleans as well. And Brandon Ingram leading the way right now with his consistently steady 30-point performances. Yoni, 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 Yoni. I'm just I'm trying to figure out a name for a song for him, okay? Please Toronto Raptors if you want a <sighs> random uh, yeah. parody singer, you got one. Well, I am not a parody singer and I'm a very bad singer, so you don't want you do not want me to sing any songs for your team and your organization. And again, being weird being weird Al is never a bad thing. No, but I'm not I just, thank God I don't look like Weird Al. No, <laughs> man, that guy's got, you know, he's got a nose on him. He's got a schnoz on him. Anyways, uh, Dallas and Utah, this series is 3-2 to two right now. And Dallas, to me, are the better team. And I, I don't know. Donovan Mitchell has played very well in this series. But he just looks like he doesn't want to be there. It, it just it seems like he doesn't want to be there. I think everybody knows that they're going to fire their coach no matter what happens in this series. No matter what happens in the playoffs, they're going to fire him. And Donovan Mitchell doesn't want to be there anymore. So if that's the case, Dallas looks like they're, they have this kind of spunk to them. I think they're going to win this series, and I, I, if the Pelicans get into the next round, or even Phoenix without Devin Booker, I think Dallas could surprise the world, uh, world and go all the way to the, the Western Conference Finals. Dallas was always that team was, who is it after Luka Doncic, too? And, yep. well, Luka Doncic... Went off in game five, 33 Brunson, points. Brunson, my friend. 13 Jaylen points. Jalen Brunson. Luka Doncic was also limited throughout the rest of the series, too. Got hurt in game two. I don't think he played at all in game three. He played in game four. Played it's Brunny well. time, baby. But there's other guys. He's <laughs> in Brunny time, yes. Championship pedigree from Villanova. Playing well. Reggie Bullock, the former Nick. He's played well in this series. Spencer Dinwiddie, former Brooklyn Nets. Oh, Seems like they like to get rid of uh, great playoff players. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's played well in this series. Uh, meanwhile, uh, you might have some depth issues that you might want to deal with, which you're not going to be able to. Brooklyn. Nice try. And, uh, Brooklyn's yeah. in the house. And like you were New saying York's with, with Mitchell, like you were saying with Mitchell, yeah, he definitely does look disinterested. Even some of the other veterans, too, mm-hmm. definitely have looked disinterested, too. And Utah's depth has not shown up in this game. Not at all. And then there's the Golden State. The Golden State Warriors and the Denver Nuggets, which I expect this series to go pretty fast. I, 
I, the, the Nuggets played very, very well in the fourth game of this series. I expect them to win game four. Uh, the Joker is not going to get swept. I, I, the way he's played throughout the season made them a six seed when they shouldn't have even been a six seed. I was very surprised they made it to the playoffs without Porter and Murray practically the whole season. Right. So uh, it's a fantastic story. I, I expect Golden State to knock him off in game number five, but there's really nothing to say about that series. Denver played hard, and they played together in game number four, and that's why they won. Yeah, and you could definitely tell that the Nuggets are just wanting to win that one for their home crowd, too. Like, they weren't going to go away from that. They have a very good home crowd. They have a very good very home, good home, home court advantage, and they didn't want to go away with that. They kind of know that it's going to be next to impossible for them to come back. No team has ever come back from down 3 three nothing in NBA history. Uh, who knows? Maybe the Sixers will blow it, but we'll see. But yeah, they, they showed up. They showed up for their fans. I expect the Warriors to be able to mop the floor with them in Game 5 because we saw the Warriors kind of take it easy with certain players in the second half, too, especially their veterans. So I don't see that kind of thing Ooh. going on. Back to Golden State, where it's also very tough to play. Uh, Carl says, Jason Kidd is a coach better than Steve Nash. Well, that's not saying much, Carl. I think, uh, I think any of us could coach better than Steve Nash. I think uh, a dead rabbit could coach better than Steve Nash. I mean, seriously. <laughs> so like says, Dallas is a top three defense, so yeah, they have a shot at the finals. Uh, Carl says, Ingram and a healthy Zion. Well, no, well, we'll see if Zion is staying there. They might be playing well amidst no Zion, too. That could be a, the chip on the shoulder that the, the Pelicans youngsters needed, too. They don't need Zion. <laughs> They no, really don't. that's what I'm saying. They, they've been playing like they don't need him. Like, oh, everyone's talking about Zion and forgetting about all of us, all, all of us youngsters. Meanwhile, all these other youngsters, these second round picks, these rookies, these guys that are forgotten about are the guys that are actually being the ones contributing and outplaying the best bench on paper in the NBA by the way, all season. By the way, Miami is up 92-85 with three minutes and 44 seconds left in the fourth quarter. So it looks like they're going to be eliminating Atlanta. And uh, right now in the fourth quarter, Minnesota is up on Memphis 85-77. to And right now, the Memphis Grizzlies, the number two seed, are tied 2-2 two to two with the Timberwolves, the best offensive team in the NBA. Fantastic series. Ed, Anthony Edwards is becoming a superstar right in front of our eyes. Uh, we know what Carl Anthony Towns brings to the table. Uh, and, and D'Angelo Russell has been fantastic in this series. They, this team has a trio that can absolutely take this team to higher heights. They have a good coach, a coach that preaches offense and defense. And this team has played better team defense, really, since he's come to that team. So I love what Minnesota has become, and I, I love what they are in this series. If they win this game, I think they win this series. I, you were right about this. I'm surprised. Yep. Not, not, you were. Right, I'm surprised it was one this close game to game, but also like series to series too, where Minnesota's also gotten good production defensively at certain points, Absolutely. too. They were a bad defensive team in the regular season, and I wasn't sure how much in terms of the depth that they would have. They have these all these, all, like like I was saying with New Orleans, all these rookies that are stepping up and outplaying a Grizzlies bench that is very loaded, in a sense, too, with all the Dylan Brooks and Steven Adams and Zaire Williams. They got a lot of talent on that bench, Memphis. Probably second or third best in the NBA, and they're being outplayed by Minnesota. The other thing, too, I think, is John Morant, I don't think has been, scoring-wise, as aggressive as he could be, mm. especially Especially in the first half of games so far, it seems like he's been very pass first. I'm not sure if that's part of the game plan, and sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. He's getting all these other guys involved, but he's I getting think double team. He's gonna have yeah. to. He's gonna have to find ways to attack and take it to that next level, so they don't have to find themselves coming back all the time. The Grizzlies, we know they can, they're capable of coming back in games. They were, I think, the fifth 
best team in the NBA in terms of coming back in crunch time. But in, in terms of that, they don't want to have to get off to a slow start against an offensive team that is that good in the Minnesota Timberwolves. Because you're right, Anthony Edwards might be that next rising superstar. Oh, absolutely. When it, comes to a, when it comes to a shooter, when it comes to a wing player in this league, he's that next Shoot wing. threes, uh, gets to the hole, does everything, shoots foul shots. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. And a great defensive player. Can d- defend multiple positions. So, mm-hmm. fantastic player. And, and they're looking like a superstar offensive team. Like they've been all season. They were the number one offensive team in the league this year, right. Minnesota. 115.5 points for ga- nine points per game. And that's, that says a lot. And remember all those uh, draft analysts that were saying that yeah. Anthony Edwards, don't draft him because he wants to play football. Well, mm. yeah, that, yeah, he's definitely showing he wants to play football. Wrong. <laughs> uh, speaking, so that- of, speaking of talking to somebody at the top of the hour, we'll be talking to BetSpurts fantasy football and handicap analyst John Daigle. When we come back, we'll get into some Yankee conversation. As yes, Jeff in the world wants to talk about what the Yankee fans did over the weekend on Saturday and, and absolutely humiliate the Yankees organization, which I, I don't know why anybody thinks that the Yankees were involved with that. It wasn't the Yankees. Aaron Judge was trying to stop that. Giancarlo Stanton was trying to stop that. But it's the Yankees. It's the Yankees' fault that the fans are crazy. When we come back, we'll get into the Yankees' situation and the Mets, one of the hottest teams in baseball, here on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mounts. I love my fart app, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Sports Lab Mouth. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. 631-672-3108 is the number to call us. Go to a website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, I had a lot of interesting fan mail all weekend long. And it all stems to the New York Yankees. Everybody here knows that I'm a Yankee fan. And everybody here knows that I hate the Yankee fans. And over the weekend, in the ninth inning, the Yankee fans abused a player on the Cleveland Indians for running into a wall. Then Miles Straw climbs over the fence and yells at the fans, provokes the fans, and then the fans throw bottles at him later in the inning. Now, I know a lot of people want to blame the Yankees. Throughout the weekend on Twitter, the press attacks the Yankees. Why weren't there security there? Why wasn't there enough security there? Aaron Judge was sticking up for the players in the field for Cleveland. Giancarlo Stanton was sticking up for the Cleveland Indians in the field. But that doesn't, that doesn't say anything about the Yankees organization. Brian Cashman is... You, you want to blame somebody? Let's blame Brian Cashman because he's the GM of the organization. Because he didn't have enough security out there in the bleachers. We all know about the bleacher creatures. Anybody that's been a Yankee fan and that's been in the bleachers know that those guys are crazy. They're nuts. I actually have sat in the bleachers plenty of times 
and listen to their screams and their roars. And then even in, on Sunday, after everything happened, Aaron, people were attacking Aaron Judge because he was saluting the fans and the bleacher creatures because they were calling his name like they always do in the first inning. Now, I think, first of all, the fans are absolutely humiliating to the organization. I think that they should absolutely be the blame of what happened on a Saturday afternoon. And it, the Yankees should have picked those people that were throwing the bottles in. The, go watch the video and find the player, the, the, the people, not the players, find the fans that were throwing those bottles on the field and make sure they're banned to ever go and watch a Yankee game again. But what Miles Straw did to provoke the Yankee fans, you do not do that as a baseball player. You're making millions and millions of dollars. I'm not blaming Miles Straw. I understand he was protecting his teammates. He loves his teammates. I, I respect that. But you're a professional baseball player. And you know you have angry Yankee fans. And you know they're crazy and nutty. You go and climb the fence and provoke them? It, it's not smart. You're a professional. What happens if a fan took a bottle and threw it at your head? What happens if somebody had a, a baseball and threw it at your head? What happens if he hit you with something and you fell off that gate and fell on your head and became paralyzed? Now, I'm not saying Miles Straw had no right to do that. You're a professional athlete. How many times have we seen this? Kyrie Irving was getting screamed at. By the Celtic fans in that series. Yeah, he said some nasty things. Yes, he got fined $50,000. But you don't see him attack anybody or climb something or beat up a, a fan. Miles Stroy didn't put his hands on any of the fans. But to do that, that's embarrassing. And I, I'm, I'm not going to say that the Cleveland Indians should fine him for what he did. But the MLB should fine the Cleveland Indians for letting their player, their, their talented outfielder, climb the fence and provoke the fans. And I know Jeff's going to attack me and say, only the Yankee fans. When for years we have heard from CeCe Sabathia, Mark Teixeira, Alex Rodriguez saying that the Boston Red Sox fans, yes, the Boston Red Sox fans are racist and rude and disgusting. We've heard that about the Cardinal fans over the years. But because it's the New York Yankees and their fans and the bleacher creatures, everybody is talking about it through the press. How disrespectful are the Yankee fans? The worst fans in professional sports. Yeah, they're not. They're, I'm a Yankee fan. I don't like the Yankee fans. I think they're disrespectful. I've always said that. But because they're disrespectful, you're going to attack me as a fan on social media? I'm not sticking up for the Yankee fan. I think they're a bunch of idiots. But to do what you did as an organization, and I'm talking about the Cleveland Indians, and, and, and not talk to your player at the end of the game. I don't know if they did, but I didn't hear anything. I didn't read anything. They didn't, they didn't sit down with Miles Straw and, and, and smack him in the ass or, or, or fine him. There was nothing that came out because they thought it was okay for what he did. You cannot, you cannot allow a player to climb a fence and put his, his, himself and some of his teammates at risk 
Right or wrong, Speedy? No, you definitely, it definitely is a little out of line with the way he did it. I, I, yeah, you could chirp back at it. We've seen players do that all the time. It's still the, the, the fans are still more at fault, I would say. But yeah, you definitely don't want to take it to that extreme climbing the fence. Now, luckily, obviously, it didn't happen where he climbed into the stands and started attacking them, where we've seen... We've seen players do that in hockey games and basketball games in the past. But, uh, again, the players should not have stuff get thrown at, too. No, absolutely and not. The fans just you definitely— can't condo- can, You cannot condone that as a Yankee organization. And that's why, obviously, Brian Cashman made sure there was more than enough security there on Sunday to protect the players on the field. And, again, they were also heckling Stephen Kwan, who's got hurt in that game in left field. They were heckling Oscar Mercado, who was in, center, uh, in right field. And they were doing it all game. They threw beer. They threw ice cream. They threw everything imaginable after the game. And it, it, this was a game that the Yankees won on a walk-off, too. I mean, yeah, you want to celebrate that, but celebrate it. You don't have to throw stuff. But, yeah, Miles Straw definitely took it to a different extreme, too, by climbing the fence the way he did. Uh, there were a lot of uh, derogatory language uh, said, swear words. Uh, yeah. And again, yeah, we'll see if they end up fining or suspending him, whatever that ends up happening. I don't think they will suspend him. They might fine him. We'll see. But still, out of line by the Yankee fans. Absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible. And they should absolutely – the Yankees are going to be fine for that. Obviously, they're – I don't know. I, I haven't seen anything yet. Uh, when baseball decides to fine them and they investigate this, they're going to fine them two, $300,000, I'm sure of it, mm-hmm. for what the Yankee fans did. But that's not the Yankees' fault that no. there are stupid fans out there. They should absolutely ban them from ever going to a Yankee game again. I don't care who it was. I don't care if it's one of the head bleacher creatures. If he was throwing a bottle on the field and trying to hurt any of the players or trying to provoke any of the players, he should be thrown out and never, ever come to watch a Yankee game again. Right. And I actually, my last, my last paper I did in college was actually about that, about aggression like that. And these are what are considered the quote-unquote hooligan fans. These aren't going to account for all Yankee fans. It just seems like, like you were mentioning, it seems like a lot of these are in the northeastern, mm-hmm. like, big cities, big markets. Philadelphia, we see it all the time. They throw stuff on the field, especially with the Eagles. Oh, don't we love the Philadelphia my friend, fans? My friend is a Yankee fan. At the during, he went to one of the games in Philly during the '09 World Series. Had soda dumped on him. Like they do crazy things too. You mentioned Boston, Toronto has done that. We, they, the Blue Jays, one of the playoff games, they were throwing stuff on the field near the bullpen. So like, we've seen we've seen it from a, mostly a lot of the Northeast markets in particular, just because of the, the the way they are. But yeah, it doesn't account for all the fans. It's just the hooligan fans. And yes, they should absolutely be Green banned. Street hooligans. Anybody see that movie? That's a great movie, by the way. Love that movie. It's an English movie about uh, uh, soccer, professional soccer teams yeah. over there in England. <laughs> Probably the biggest hooligan fans of the ball. Yes, and, and they, they, they have their own, like, gangs that actually beat the hell out of each other after the games, depending on what team wins or what team mm-hmm. loses. It, it's Especially crazy. Man City and Man United. They have a lot of those there. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I have to go to a soccer game or uh, an English or European football game in England. I would love to see what it's what it's like to go to one of those games with 60 screaming thousand fans. You think a, a baseball game's crazy? Go to a, a, a European football game oh, yeah. with Messi and Ronaldo. And one of those guys. They have riots and protests, like, even in, like, instances that you would never see in a lot of these American sports, too. Even a season, he, <laughs> he's in even cities as crazy as these Northeast ones. Have. Love the horse races, too. They're crazy fans. Too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm always at the Belmont. It's crazy. The, the fan, you wouldn't believe how many, despite the crazy outfits people wear, and, and I will say despite because some of them are absolutely horrendous, but... 
uh, it's crazy. It's a great time to, to see the crazy fans and the betters and, 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 and so many people go to the Belmont and, and, and the Triple Crown, you know, stakes and all that other stuff. It's great. The Kentucky Derby, all that stuff. That's when you have the opportunity to really see some crazy fans. If you think baseball, Yankee, bleacher creature fans are crazy, go to one of those things. They're, oh, yeah. they're crazy. But anyways, I want, to, I, I want to play something that Miles Straw said after the Yankee game on Saturday. He's the nicest guy on the planet, and that's my teammate, that's my brother. And um, some of the things that were said to him just for me wasn't going to fly. So, you know, my emotions got to me a little bit. But, um, you know, at that point, I feel like as a Yankees fan, you got to be excited for your team. You should be cheering, and you should never prey on someone's, you know, the guy went head first into a hard wall. Um, there's no business for saying the things those guys said to him. And, um, you know, it got to me a little bit, and I, you know, I said what I said. And, um, I, I, you know, if I were to do it again, I probably would have said the same thing. That's my guy. And uh, So there you go. Miles Straw sticking up for his player. Uh, that, to me, is so very important when you show team unity. And, and he is one of those guys. I respect that for Miles, Miles Straw. He's a great player, uh, a great teammate. But to do what he did was just not smart. And, and as a professional athlete, you don't do that. Do we have Jeff on the phone? Yes, we do. Jeff, what's going on, bud? Let's try to get through this amicably because mm-hmm. your accounting of things is not correct. Mm-hmm. It's just not. It's not factually correct. Wild mm-hmm. Straw didn't go up there and provoke them out of nowhere. What happened was, is I think it was Stanton, maybe Stanton, I don't know. The Yankee doesn't matter. Had a great hit to left, went off the left field wall. Mm-hmm. The Indians' left fielder face first into the wall, fell down. I said down, that, yes. And, right. And Mercado was standing in right, and all the people in right field were cheering that he got hurt. No, right. I, I understand that, yes. I, I, right. Which I said cheering that. He got hurt. Mm-hmm. So Mercado turned around and was like, oh, come on, guys, don't do that. The guy's hurt. And the Yankee fans threw something at him then. That's when someone physically threatened Miles Straw, and there's a video of him climbing the wall, and he goes, you want to hit me? Go ahead and hit me mm-hmm. then. Right? Because he got threatened. He got down. And then the Yankees fans threw more things. Let's make no mistake about this. Have isolated incidents in other cities happened? Boston, certainly Philly. It's a regular occurrence in New York. Let's let's go go down the list. There's this one, completely undeserved. Last year, Verdugo get, got hit by a baseball, right? Uh, Tavares had shit thrown at him because, oh, you don't want to play for us, right? Uh, Knicks fans spit on Trey Young's dad. New Yorkers are just garbage. Hold on, hold on one second. And we've talked about this off air. We've talked about this on air, Jeff. The whole Young situation and his father... First of all, Young was sticking his middle finger up at the Knicks fans. Okay, okay hold on. Now, all right. Time so, time so, on. and I'm not hold sticking on. up. I, I'm not hold condoning on. this. I'm not. Hold on, hold on. Time out. That's an absolute bullshit excuse. Did Kyrie not just give all of Boston and Celtics fans the finger in Boston? Did Celtics fans throw things at him? No, because it's wrong. Um, they threw it. They, they did, did last year. They though. did last year. What are you talking hold about? On. Hold on. The kid, the kid at URI hit him with a water bottle. He was a URI student. What do you, th- way, what do you think the Yankee fans were throwing on the field? They were throwing water bottles. Right. Hold on. First of all, that kid's a trash human. He's probably from New York. He went to URI. He's, he's from Boston. URI, he's from Boston. No, no, no. He went to URI, the University of Rhode Island, which is a trash school, Providence College. <laughs> right? I knew you were going with that. Right. So that's number one. And, and listen. Did did uh, did a fan yell a slur at Adam Jones? Sure did. Mm. Did happen. But you know what happened the very next night? Do you know what happened the very next night? Boston, as a community, said, 
We don't take that shit. And what happened? Adam Jones got a standing ovation, and they were in solidarity with Adam Jones saying that that is wrong. Does that ever happen in New York? Alex Verdugo got hit with a baseball last year. Did New Yorkers go, ah, you want to know what? That's wrong. No, they cheered it because they're garbage human. Nobody is, Jeff, nobody is condoning Yankee fans for what they do on the field. But But you can't blame that on all Yankee fans. Not all Yankee fans did that. 20, hold on, hold on, let me speak for a second. There were 20 fans that did that. That was not the whole stadium. There's 55,000 people in Yankee Stadium. Oh, come on, Jeff. It was 20 people. Hold on. It has happened with the whole stadium. Do you remember when Alex Rodriguez slapped the ball out of Bronson Arroyo's glove? And the umpires, by the way, got the call right in the ALCS. And what happened? The whole Red Sox team had to be pulled off the field because it was raining garbage, mm. wasn't it? Mm. Was so, so what is this? We're gonna we're gonna talk about the Yankee fans and attack the Yankee fans, and that's what this show's gonna be about. No, 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 it's not just Yankee fans. It's all of New York. No, that's not true. It's not all of New York, Jeff. I'm a Yankee fan. I'm a Yankee fan. Hold on, Jeff. Did they throw things at Tavares? Jeff. I am a Yankee fan and an Islander fan. And by the way, John Tavares, what he did to the New York Islanders organization was uncalled for and, and a lie see, and deceitful. Is, see, hold on, hold on. Is, let me speak. Let no, me speak, Jeff. Let me speak. I'm not making excuses. excuses. I'm not. Con- I'm a garbage human. That's that's what I am. That's that's what you say. I'm a garbage human because I am sticking up for me and my fanhood. I don't do that. I didn't throw anything at him. So what does that mean? Because because I think. What John Tavares did was wrong. I, I'm a garbage human? Come on, Jeff. I am not every Yankee fan, not every New York fan does that. Just because John Tavares decided to make a decision in his life. A decision. Do you know what the decision was when Lou yeah, Lamorello came to him at the trade deadline? Yeah, he decided to play somewhere No, else. that's not true, Jeff. That's not true. That shows you it how much true. you know. No, it isn't true. Lou Lamorello at the trade deadline went to John Tavares and said, what do you want to do? Do you want? Or do you plan to be here? Do you plan to start, sign the extension with us? Or do we trade you and then we try to bring you back in the offseason? You know what he told the Islanders? Mm-hmm. I want to be an Islander for life. That's what I want to okay. be. And what did he Thank do you. at the end of the season? He knew where he was going. His fiance got a job as a nurse over there in Toronto before the season Good. ended. He knew what he was Good. doing. Okay, well, so then, so then that would justify people justify. throwing things at Kyrie. Justify. He promised Celtics fans that he was going to stay, so we get to throw things at him now. So we're going to sit here and we're going to go back and forth because you think New Yorkers are trash, which is wrong. Not happens, all New Yorkers. It happens more there. It happens more there. Not than all anywhere. New Yorkers are trash, Jeff. I mean, it happens. It happens. Come on, Jeff. Did Verdugo get hit with a baseball last year? Are they throwing shit I, this I, year? Did I, they I, spit I, on Trey Young's dad? Sure did. And then we bring up, and then we bring up something that a Celtic fan did. It's okay. It's okay. You know. No, I no, I said that that I said that that person was a garbage human. Yeah. Screw them. Don't care. How about the racist, the racist things that we've heard baseball players say that the Boston Red Sox fans have said in the in the outfield? What happened the very next night, which you'll you'll conveniently ignore? I'm not bringing that up anymore, Jeff. Boston fans standing. Great, great. Boston fans are the greatest. They're the greatest. Let's right. kiss and their we, rear ends. Bow down to the Boston fans, fans and ladies and gentlemen. Fans can recognize when something, Let's go, Celtics. 
Boston fans, man. I love them. I love them. But at least Red Sox fans can realize we've come uh, across the line and they banded together and said, you know what, that's wrong. We stand with Adam Jones, gave a standing ovation. Anyone give Alex Verdugo <sighs> a standing ovation for getting hit in the back of the head with a baseball? So, okay, so your argument is all New Yorkers and all New Yorker fans are trash. It happens more there than anywhere else. All of them. Every single one of them. Trash, right? All of them. Trash. But Speedy's not garbage. She's from Connecticut. You're one of the good ones, Speedy. Oh, oh, so Speedy's okay, but I'm not because I'm from New York. Garbage human. Trash on that (laughs) Okay, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff, for calling the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Speedy, please. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you very much for calling this show. We really appreciate you. Thank you. All New Yorkers are trash. From all the Boston fans and everybody to you. All right. Goodbye, Jeff. Crazy. New Yorkers are trash. Because 20 New Yorkers threw bottles on the field. Everybody there are trash. That's coming from a Boston fan, ladies and gentlemen. And everybody in Boston are wonderful, beautiful people. I I can't wait to hear what John Daigle thinks about the Boston fans, too. I mean, I'm sure he's not going to throw them under the bus, but, you know, it's it's the Yankees' fault. It's always. Brian Cashman, he should be fired for this. It is Brian Cashman's fault because there was not enough security over there in the bleachers. Give me a break. This isn't the Yankees' fault. There are stupid fans at every game. We see things happen. Remember what happened in Indiana. And, I mean, I'm sorry, in Detroit with yeah. the Pistons in Indiana. Right. Remember that? With Ron Artest and, and, and O'Neal. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Come on, guys. Does anybody remember that? So you know what? The Piston fans, they're all trash. All of Detroit. Do you hear me? John, you hear me? Every single person from Detroit, trash, because that happened. Give me a break. That's not true. I, it's, it's it's terrible. It's a terrible take by Jeff. And that just shows you how much he hates New Yorkers. But you know what? That's fine. I am not trash. I'm just a realist. I'm not going to go and throw uh, a, you know, a ball or throw bottles at innocent players, especially if I don't like them or I don't like their team. But to say that all Yankee fans are going to do that and all Yankee fans are doing that, that's ridiculous. And, and to say that, and, and, and obviously, Speedy, he loves you and he hates me, and that's great. Uh, a lot of people, I got so much interesting fan mail over the weekend because of this, because everybody knows I'm a Yankee fan. Um, I don't condone what the Yankee fans did. I absolutely don't. But to say that we're all trash and we're all to blame for what happened on Saturday, it's ridiculous. And, and, and by the way, for all the press that wants to blame the Yankees, the Yankee organization for what happened, shame on you, okay? Shame on you. Because it wasn't the Yankees, it wasn't the organization that told those stupid, dumb fans to throw the bottles and call these names and say whatever they were saying to the players on the field. None of the Yankee uh, organization, none of the Yankee players, as Aaron Judge and John Carlo were sticking up for the, the Cleveland players. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking to... Bet sports, bet sports, fantasy football, and handicap analyst John Daigle on our show again here on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mounts. My farting app, ladies and gentlemen. 
We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Loudmouth. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. 631-672-3108 is the number. Please, all the hate calls, please call up the show. I can't wait to hear it. Uh, remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. John, I've got a new app. Uh, uh, nice little fart sounds, you know. Uh, and that's what I thought that take was for that Boston fan. Doggy doo-doo. That's what I think it is. And now we have our very special guest for the third time on our show. Very happy to have him on. And we actually could see him now. We are now talking to Betsperts fantasy football and handicap analyst, John Daigle. What's going on, Johnny? Bet sports or bet spurts, as you mentioned earlier, whichever one you prefer. I, Either I way, it, it, it is draft week. We are all excited. And so that's <laughs> what I've been working on for a few months now. So I'm excited to be here and talking with you yet again. Uh, yes, and I'm, I'm happy to have you on the show. You're, you're one of the great uh, football analysts we've had on this show many, many times. Uh, you're very popular all over Twitter and social media, especially some of your takes and some of your different things that you post up on your Twitter. How are you doing right now? I mean, with bet spurts and the fantasy football and, 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 and being that there's football, you know, the draft is right around the corner, my friend. In life, I am doing quite well. Yes. Settled in Chicago since the last time we talked. Met somebody, for better or worse, because ideally you don't want to meet someone in the north when you're not from the north. And yet here we are. Uh, winter is certainly coming, and now I'm stuck in Chicago for the foreseeable future. Is she from New Other York? Than that, though, is she from New York? She is. She is from Chicago. Oh, yes. yeah. So the north. The north. No, I'm, just, I'm just saying because if she's from New York, in, in Jeff's category, get rid of her. She's bad. They're all bad. All New Yorkers. Horrible. At least in Boston New York, there's a camaraderie in the winter. Like, you all know you're miserable. In Chicago, everyone's just outright miserable. It's just cold. <laughs> it's just, it just sucks. Windy by the lake. It's just miserable. So we get through that, though. It is now getting closer to spring for all of us. Mm. And then... In terms of work-wise, yeah, the past couple of months been working harder than draft. I think we have a couple good leans and bets to discuss tonight, so yes. looking forward to diving into it. So why don't we get into the draft, and there's so many things going on right now when it comes to this draft, especially who's going to be the number one pick. We've been hearing week after week Hutchinson. Now we're hearing Walker. Where do you see this first pick going from the Jaguars? I mean, the Jaguars winning it, and where do they go at the number one pick? I'm of the belief, everything we've heard, that Trayvon Walker would be Trent Baalke's decision, the GM they kept in place, so much so that, remember, they chose him over bringing Byron Leprich, who made it an alternative if you were hired. They also had to fire Baalke at the time. They said no, retain Baalke. Doug Peterson, an offensive-minded head coach, in on Ikiakuanu, the left tackle, right tackle, wherever they choose to play him at, and then... Anyone else that doesn't make decisions on Aiden Hutchinson. Hmm. And that's why I think we've seen Aiden Hutchinson's number fall very short and basically become second or third odds wherever you look. I still think Balky and Walker are the choice here, unless Shad Khan overrules him all of a sudden. Hmm. But otherwise, Walker is still my favorite pick for number one overall. And then actually, I think Aquanu would be the second favorite. And then Hutchinson, because again, the people pulling the strings in the organization that like Hutchinson, they don't matter. They're not the ones that make the decisions. So put that in the back of your mind. It's Walker or to a lesser extent, Aquanu, in my opinion. 
So we've also heard different rumors from the other two teams in the top three about these surprise picks, too. We've heard the Texans uh-huh. have been interested in Kyle Hamilton, which a lot, a lot of people have in the top three. And also Sauce Gardner is getting some steam also in that mix, too. We, GM comes from the Patriots. They love defensive backs, especially. And Detroit, too. We've heard them say they might possibly take Trayvon Walker over Aiden Hutchinson. So what do you think about those rumors? From everything I've read, I think I am personally down to two decisions at number two. And this is assuming Hutchinson is passed on at one. There is also a belief that Kayvon Thibodeau is the either their first selection or the backup option. And we have proof of that because I just did a show, Move the Line podcast, shameless plug, wherever you listen to podcasts at, iTunes, Spotify. And we had an individual there who basically works with a syndicate, Joey Kanish. And he's very good at intel and getting information. And what he confirmed to us was two weeks ago, there was actually a Vegas syndicate, a smart betting group that scooped up all of the Kayvon Thibodeau to number two odds whenever they reached their low point. Uh, So people are on it. Now, whether they are on it because of intel, because of something they heard, or because it was the best number at the time, that I don't know. I, I still like to have my money on Hutchinson, though, and I'm fine losing if the Lions have the balls to pass on the hometown kid who matches Dan Campbell's philosophy to the T, both in his effort in the run game, his strength, he actually led all edge players and bench reps. He didn't do it at the combine, but at Michigan's pro day, he benched 28 reps, which wow. is one more than Thibodeau did. And so I'm going to lose my money and go down swinging with the guy. I, I don't think they can pass on at all as long as the Jags passing them at one. So I still have Hutchinson over Thibodeau over two. To your other point though, PD. I actually think Derek Stingley is number three. Mm -hmm. We know for a fact one team inside the top 10, if not two, have Stingley on their board over Gardner as a top cornerback. And from everything we hear, I think the Texans are the one team that are leaning that way. So much so that in his press conference, when Lovey Smith was asked about his cornerback's room in particular, he literally said, (laughs) we need to improve there. Didn't protect him at all. (laughs) Just said, these guys suck and we need to do better. And since Stingley has now been medically cleared from last year's injury, remember before that injury, he was the first pick as the number one corner over Gardner anyhow. So now that we've sort of come full circle, I believe that's where Stingley goes. So he is my betting option for both the number three pick, wherever everyone's listening out there. If you can look at a book near you, I do like him as number three overall and in a trifecta, one, two, three to pick off with Walker, Hutchinson, and Stingley. Wow. We are talking to BetSports Fantasy or BetSports Fantasy Football and Handicap (laughs) Analyst John Daigle. John, the New York Jets are at four. A lot of people have been talking about the last past week the Jets are very interested in Iquanu. He's a, he's a big offensive lineman. Uh, you know Joe Douglas likes those offensive linemen. I don't think they need him. And then uh, everybody thought if Kayvon Thibodeau was sitting there, he would be the guy that they would be drafting. But now uh, there's a lot of stories coming out from, from the Jets that Jermaine Johnson is the guy that the Jets would probably lean towards at four if they're looking for a pass rusher. Let me walk you through the hamster wheel. And why I think all roads lead back to Ike Aquano for the Jets. And that is, we knew Thibodeau was their second option behind Aquano this entire time, right? And so the recent news was that Jermaine Johnson is now prioritized over Thibodeau. But no one said anything about Ike Aquano falling behind Jermaine Johnson. And so no matter what happens, and it makes sense both rumors-wise, as we just noted, and X's and O's-wise, because George Fant played... 
above his above his career basically last year at left tackle was excellent in place of Makai Becton and honestly on an expiring deal at the age of 30 they can now let him play it out this year and prove himself for a long-term deal if they take a Quanu moving a Quanu to right tackle immediately or if he plays, he outplays his market, let's say, and they don't want to pay that, they also then have a left tackle for the future in Aquano as well, since that's where he played in college. It makes so much sense that they continue, like last year, prioritizing both their offense for Zach Wilson and for themselves, knowing that whatever we think about, about Zach Wilson and the development, they have a rookie contract for the next four years for cheap. And they need to make this as easy as possible for themselves. And so no matter which way I look at it, even if they do like Jermaine Johnson, even if they do like Thibodeau, all roads lead back to Icky. And that's the way I'm handling it. Icky is my favorite player to be the number four pick, no matter how the top three shake out. Unless, of course, unless, of course, I should say Hutchinson is there, but I don't think any way in hell that happens. <laughs> so are there any teams that you've heard that maybe could be a surprise team to trade up into one of the early picks, maybe like the top five or something like that? Is there any teams that would surprise everybody, maybe trade multiple three first round picks and do that? If the Texans were blowing the Stingley smoke screen in every one and instead go Evan Neal, even though we have had some news in the past 48 hours that Neal's medical for his knees came back as red flags, and now at teams at least in the top five are very concerned. If they are one of those teams, though, that aren't concerned and then shock us all by going Evan Neal at number three overall, I bet they try to take that number three pick, 13 pick, and trade back up with the Panthers at six to jump ahead of the line for Stingley. That's how much I know they love Stingley. I also think the Saints are open for business with their two first round picks to move up to either the Giants at five or seven or the Panthers at six because Saints' priority number one is replacing Teron Armstead at left tackle, and there's a massive drop off between Charles Cross and NFL GM's minds and the next two, which would be Trevor Penning and to a lesser extent, Tyler Smith at tackle. And so I think the Saints have Charles Cross in their targets, and that's what they're going to do. So those two teams I would be interested in, as well as if a player falls the Jets really like at 10, I don't think they mind shipping that 10th pick as well to move up a couple spots. But we'll see how that shake out. Uh, right now, I think it would only be the Saints or Texans. John, you look at the Jets at number 10. Uh, there's a lot of wide receivers that uh, th have been in the realm of where the Jets are going to be looking at. Uh, they've been talking about Williams. They've, they've talked about Drake London. They've, they've talked about all these different guys. Now, if they don't make a move for Dabo, uh, Debo Samuels, which it doesn't seem like it's going to happen because we've heard what John Lynch said the other day. He, there's no way in hell he's trading Debo Samuels, but I, I don't believe that until it happens. Um, where who Who's the first wide receiver off the board, and where did the Jets go if they stay at number 10? The first wide receiver off the board got really interesting once the Giants put into the ether that they're willing to trade Kadarius Toney. And so that makes them an intriguing spot to draft whoever is highest on their board. Maybe it's Jameson Williams, maybe not, at number seven overall. Overall, I think we should really be on watch at number eight with the Falcons. And that comes down to whether Drake London or Garrett Wilson is higher on their board. If you asked me two weeks ago, I would have said Garrett Wilson. Now, in the past 48 hours, I'm of the belief it's Drake London. And if that's the case, it gets to the Jets. And then it comes down to who's higher on their board between Garrett Wilson and Jameson Williams. Again, two weeks ago, I would have said Jameson Williams. You asked me in the last 24 hours, mm. I'm pretty sure they're very high on Garrett Wilson. And then you go to 11, and we know 
the commander's options are down to Drake London or Kyle Hamilton. So if Drake London's not there, they likely pull Kyle Hamilton off the board since we are expecting him to fall past every team except maybe the Falcons at number eight overall. And from there, all bets are off, honestly. I know the Saints have Chris Olave as either the number two or number three wide receiver on his board, on their board, and I expect him to be there at number 16 for them. Uh, The Eagles are very interested in Trey Burks and at least a receiver, one receiver with one of their two picks, although they are hoping Kyle Hamilton falls as well. Um, And from there, yeah, it just gets a little finicky in the back because it's question marks, right? It could be Patriots, Cardinals, Packers, I expect to take one. Chiefs, I expect to take one. Cowboys, if Traylon Burks goes to the back, given that Jerry Jones also went to Arkansas, and and that's why they build a shitty football team every year because they (laughs) make decisions like that. Yeah, I I fully expect six to eight wide receivers to come off the board. Uh, The fact that we got medical red flags recently on George Pickens – basically pushed him not only out of the first round, but the second round as well. And so now we can kind of push up Jahan Dotson from Penn State for sure inside the first round, and then maybe Christian Watson on the back end. Other than that, it's a big question mark after 20, honestly. So you mentioned Debo Samuel. Rumors coming out that he wants out, that John Lynch says, no, we're going to pay him, we're going to make him happy. Do you see him getting traded before the draft? He said, hold on one second, he said there's not a chance in hell they're trading him. That's what he said. In so, those words. So what kind of money do you think he'll end up making? Do you think he'll get the contract he wants then in that case from, from John Lynch? From, from people I trust, I have heard he wants $25 million per year, and he's looking for a three- to four-year deal. Also, though, remember the Jets, when they try to trade for A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf reportedly, Tyreek Hill for sure, they try to trade two second-rounders. They weren't willing to part with that number 10 pick. And so I wonder... If it's true, they would be willing to part with that number 10 pick, knowing they would also have to give Debo a massive extension the moment they trade for him. When in fact, if they take a receiver at number 10 overall, they don't have to worry about that extension, right? Especially the way the market works for receivers and guaranteed money now. They can now avoid that chaos for the next at least three years. And so that's intelligent business. So I honestly think, and this refutes a few smart reporters, I don't think that's the case at all. I think they just take a receiver at number 10 overall, knowing that's how they can get value right now. Mm, very interesting. We are talking to BetSports fantasy football and handicap analyst John Daigle. So why don't we get into Kansas City? Right now their division is probably the best division in football. They have two first-round draft picks in this year's draft. Um, you know, Getting one from the Miami Dolphins for Tyreek Hill. Where do they go in their picks? They need a wide receiver. They lost Tyreek Hill. Uh, they're, they're going to have to obviously pay Travis Kelsey at the end of the year. Where do they go at their wide receiver position? Where do they go at those picks? They have 30 and 31, obviously. And while I don't think they trade both to move up for a wide receiver, we also didn't expect them to take Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So who the hell knows with Kansas City? But honestly, when it comes to the back, if the top guys we already discussed are gone – Maybe they go Christian Watson, right? And Christian Watson is a – I don't know how much everyone who's listening has dove into prospects just yet. Maybe that's just my pathetic life. But Christian Watson, just know, very big guy, ran the sixth fastest 40 time among his class in this class at his position. And that's important to note for Kansas City because, like Nicole Hardman – Kansas City prioritizes speed. That's all they want. They don't care about anything else. And Christian Watson, even in being big, even in being fast, still registered a 13% drop rate in college. Remember, he played for North Dakota State. He played against all 53 of his career games against FCS competition, like teams that don't even matter. So I question whether he can translate to the NFL. But either way, whether they go receiver or not, if they don't make that deal up, 
I think they settle for a cornerback and an edge rusher. Mm. And there are a bunch of picks that could go in that direction. Um, Arnold Ebicady has been making some rounds in the past 48 hours, thinking we're going to squeeze him into the first round. His over-under shrunk to 31 and a half. Uh, we also believe Boy Maffe is going to go in the first round. They could go Kyler Gordon. They could go Andrew Booth, even though Andrew Booth in the last 24 hours, apparently he's done a couple interviews and GMs have come back thinking he's a piss poor tackler. So he actually might get pushed out of the first round as well. Um, but yeah, I think they go cornerback and edge overall. So these going from a fantasy perspective, everyone was talking about Tyree Kill getting traded. Mm-hmm. Also Devontae Adams. Noah as, family, uh, also Devontae Adams as well. And, and Noah Syndergaard's family. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so so what do you think from a fantasy perspective are the impacts of those guys in their new locations? For the Chiefs or for just rookie wide receivers in general? For the for Miami, Tyree Kill to Miami and Devontae oh, Adams to the Raiders. I, I'm actually concerned about the Miami guys. Um, I don't know what to think about Tua's development. Just the fact that last year, and it's a completely different offense, obviously, but last year they turned, they tried to make sure he excels at short throws, but they basically just turned him into an RPO quarterback, and it obviously didn't work at all. And then for Tyreek Hill for fantasy, for instance, I'm concerned because Debo Samuel's wide back usage is actually highly overrated for fantasy. Remember, we want our wide receivers to get targets and carries. And what Debo did from week eight on was average a rushing touchdown for every 10 carries. That's not sustainable. Even if I tell you any running back in the league, right? Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, the list goes on and on. If I tell you they can average or ask you, do you think this person will average a touchdown for every 10 carries? You will say, hell no. That's what's happened with Debo Samuel. And now everyone's chasing that value in fantasy. We're not drafting last year's stats. That's not how this works. We're trying to get a leg up on our competition. And so the fact that Debo in that span also averaged just four targets per game, like that's not usage I want at all. And if you're telling me that's how Tyreek Hill is going to be used and we have to bank on touchdown, like a rushing touchdown equity then, I don't want that at all either. And so right now as a top 10 wide receiver and underdog, for instance, I think it's highly overrated. But if he plummets and you can get his value suddenly from – Wide receiver, I don't know, 20 to 26, that's when I would buy in. But right now, I think both he and Jalen Waddle are vastly overrated. And if you do want to target one anyhow, I would just make sure it's the one you think is going to be involved in the passing game more because that's how we're going to get our fantasy points. John, where does the Green Bay Packers go? Obviously, they need a wide receiver. They lose, they lose Adams in the offseason. They need a superstar guy that can catch the ball in the open field. They might need two of them. Where do they go in the position that they are in in the first round? The Packers are one of those threshold teams we look at. Like the Jaguars and Trent Baalke, they don't draft defensive linemen with short arms. As stupid as this is, that's how it works. And that's what makes the Hutchinson-Walker conversation come into light because Hutchinson has 7% arm length, whereas Walker has 95%, 95th of arm length. Hutchinson was much more productive in college. Doesn't matter. Balky still only drafted long-arm defensive linemen because he's a donkey. We also look at the Seahawks. The Seahawks also, going back to the Legion of Boom, only draft lengthy corners. Even last year with Dan Quinn with the Cowboys, they drafted the only corners that were 6-3 and over last year. The only three in the draft because that's what they prioritized. That's what Dan Quinn always prioritized with the Seahawks, and the Seahawks have carried that tradition over to this day. The Packers prioritize athletes. This is all they look for. If you are a 
high athlete, especially like when we're talking the 95th percentile testing at the combine, you're going on their board. And so when I hear that, I then look to a player like Zion Johnson. They need players on the interior and Zion Johnson's three cone in particular, put him as like one of the best interior offensive linemen, not only in this class, but the last half decade as well. Wow. I think they, I think they noticed that given that they need that position. So I believe Zion Johnson is going to be high on their board. And then receivers is really going to come down to who else is there? Because as we talked about Pickens, lots of red flags there. Also an athletic guy, even though I do expect him to fall out of the first round. And so for receivers, I think Jahan Dotson's in play. I think Traylon Burks is in play. And then if we're talking about, I guess, one more that sneaks into the first round, oh, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe <laughs> if they go edge instead, it'd be Arnold Ebicady. Like I said, he's been making rumors. But right now, yeah, I would just make sure if ever you're mocking or picking a bet on Packers players, make sure you look at that player's athletic traits first. Yeah, the Packers always are the ones that like always draft like the most hybrid players that have all these great productions. I remember one of the, one of the shows we did, uh, it was a different show on our network. They were doing the draft coverage. I'm like, they're going to draft for Sean Gary. He's like the perfect like Packer prototype of everything yes. they love. And yeah. they ended up going with him in that draft. So it was just funny. So just in general, Errol was talking about the crazy offseason we've seen. Mm. Uh, do you think this is an anomaly? This is the only time it's going to happen? Or could this be the new norm with all these players wanting out nowadays? I hope it's not the new norm because I want a personal life. I hope I don't have to sit around and do this every offseason. You're getting married but, now, man. Look at you. <laughs> I'm not getting married. We were simply dating. I don't know if it's the new norm, but it seems at least like the new norm for guaranteed money, which makes it concerning because this year, everything exploded at once, and so no one knew how to handle it. That's why the Jets have been calling about expiring contract ex-wide receivers who can get on an island and create their own space because whereas they have the cap space – Perhaps other teams like the 49ers are dealing with right now aren't sure how to handle it, don't know how to maneuver their cap space to then give a wide receiver according to what the market is now. And it didn't even start with Christian Kirk, to be honest. It really started the moment Bill O'Brien got pissed off at DeAndre Hopkins and traded him. Because from that point forward, that's when the wide receiver contract market reset since the Cardinals immediately gave DeAndre Hopkins more money at his age. And from that point on, Devontae Adams saw that and said, well, I deserve more than Hopkins. I'm better. And then we see what happened with Tyreek Hill and next Debo Samuel, clearly, perhaps even with A.J. Brown at the Titans, don't give him all the guaranteed money. So I would like to think with a year to adjust, it's not as crazy, but who knows? Really, who knows? We are talking to Betsperts, fantasy football and handicapping analyst John Daigle. Who wins this year's draft? What team do you think will win when it comes to the draft? We've seen this, the Jets last year, a lot of people thought they won. What do you think is going to happen this year? I don't think the Giants could screw this up. I think they are in the perfect position in a shitty draft to get both their picks right. Uh, I believe they are leaning Charles Cross at number five, which is a massive need, so much so that they are one of the few teams, maybe even the only team actually in his private workout. Remember, his final two years of college, every snap exclusively let tackle. At their private workout, they tried him out at right tackle, knowing Andrew Thomas had a much improved season last year. And they also said specifically, they said they're taking the best player and they are not afraid to move Thomas to right tackle, which means that could only be one player at that spot. And that's Charles Cross. They are honing in on him. And so whether they do that or step back, take a cornerback, since we are expecting James Bradbury to not be on the roster by week one. And then if that were the case, 
in this mock draft scenario we talked about <laughs> at the beginning of the segment, Cross and Neil would be there at mm. six, and then one of them would fall to seven. I don't think there's any way the Giants can play this wrong, so much so that Gardner may be there at seven as well. If not, they take the best wide receiver to replace Kadarius Toney. So I think the Giants immediately come away are going to come away as winners. Mm. So one prospect that maybe isn't projected like a top 10 or top five prospect, do you, do you think will end up being a top 10 player in the NFL? Top 10 player in the NFL. Uh, Trent McDuffie seems like the fall off at cornerback mm. immediately after Stingley or Gardner, whoever goes one and two. It seems like it's very clearly Trent McDuffie, and he could go as early as 12 to – well, he can go as early as nine, honestly, to Seahawks. He'd go 12 to the Vikings. I know the Eagles and Chargers and Saints are also high on him, so I'm not expecting him to sneak past 17, honestly. Um, beyond that, though, it could also be – so this draft is actually interesting because I don't know if you all are aware – Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle, and Jermaine Johnson, the line, the edge rusher, uh, they actually tested at the combine as literally the most athletic players at their position ever since the combine first was invented. So, like, we're seeing a culmination of youth and nutrition happen all at once. And, like I mentioned earlier, the shittiest draft ever. This is why teams aren't <laughs> trying to trade up. This is why teams are trading for 2023 picks. They are, every team is very aware next year is the big one to go after. This one's just like, it's got to happen. All the players are in Vegas. We have It's on TV. We already signed contracts, so let's just do this thing. And so the fact that we have teams with needs everywhere, like the Texans and Falcons and Seahawks, honestly, and then players who are the most athletic ever throws wrenches into these things because maybe even if a team does have a need or one specific player, they just say screw it and instead go this uber athlete who they think fills a lot of holes. Especially makes sense for a guy like Pete Carroll who is like, just got rid of Bobby Wagner, right? Is looking to replace that, maybe rekindling memories of the Legion of Boom. And so a player like Devin Lloyd or a Jermaine Johnson, something like that makes a lot of sense for their defense at nine. I expect them to be the first wrench in the top 10, by the way. So uh, I think it's very interesting, at least. And that's what makes this draft unprecedented and really unpredictable, even in like which rookies could emerge. Before we let you go, one more question. Charlie Kohler, he's a fr he's a friend of the show. We had him on the show last week. Where does he go? I think he goes to Green Bay in the third or fourth round. He said that if I'm right, he's going to come out here and take us out for a couple of drinks. So what do you think about that? How often does he call in? <laughs> um, we, we had him on the show last week. We're probably going to have him on after the draft. So, Well, as I told you earlier, if he's an athlete, he probably is on Green Bay's radar. Uh, <laughs> right, right, right now I have him projected as a late day two pick. Mm -hmm. So round mid-round three, mm -hmm. um, maybe round four or five. I would not imagine he gets past the fifth round, probably mm -hmm. even the fourth round, to be honest. Mm -hmm. To weird, weird, though, I'm not sure, honestly. I think that's what you said, too. Early fourth round pick by Green Bay, I think is what you said. Yes, I did. Yeah, so. yeah, late day two, early day three makes a lot of sense. Well, we're, we're rooting for him. We want him to come on, and I definitely want Green Bay to draft him because he's going to come out and have a good time with us. You know, so. yes. I mean, day two is more money, so let's root for day two. <laughs> <laughs> <There we go. laughs> Anyways, we really appreciate you joining us. We'd love to get you on after the draft and, and go over the draft on, on some of your thoughts and some of your uh, opinions of what happened throughout the draft. Let's talk fantasy post-draft. You have my number. Let's Absolutely. do it. By the way, by the way, John, it says on your Twitter you won an award as well. Congratulations. Congratulations, by the way. I appreciate that. Uh, best NFL podcast. We won it.
uh, last year. So thank you very much. Look at you, man. Uh, COVID time and you're winning awards. You deserve it, man. We really appreciate your time. And we'll have you on very, very soon, my friend. Thanks, boys. Have a great night. Absolutely. We were just talking to Bet Spurts. Yes, Bet Spurts. Fantasy football and handicapping analyst, John Daigle. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a lot of Nets conversation with this man. We had him in an Uber, and now we have him talking sports at his place. Why not? We will be talking to Nets Daily writer and reporter, Chris Milholland, here on the Sports Loudmouse. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouse. My fart! I love it. My fart app is awesome. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, the Sports Loudmouths. As you know, I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Beatty. 631-672-3108 is the number. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. John Daigle, ladies and gentlemen, fantastic. He always is fantastic. And Speedy, when he told me this guy was coming on, the last time we had him on the show, he was in an Uber. It was fantastic. And in the, the interview was perfect. It really was. He was driving. He was talking to his Uber driver. And then he was talking Nets basketball, coming back from a Nets game. Well, now he's at his place. So he, he's, he's now uh, really reformed from what he was in an Uber. So why not? We are now talking to Nets daily writer and reporter, Chris Milholland. What's going on, Chris? What's up, guys? Yeah, it's better to be back at home talking to you guys than, than like really just smashing the back of a Civic. So that, that definitely helped out. <laughs> well, the last time my sister was in a, um, an Uber, she got into a car accident and broke her ankle because he backed really? up into a telephone pole. Yeah, could you imagine an Uber driver back into a All telephone right, what pole? Si- what city was this in? Uh, New York. It was in, uh, I think it was in Farakaway, if I'm not mistaken. She was going to Queens, and uh, she I'm was. Telling you, man, those Uber drivers, they're some, they're <laughs> wild sometimes, man. Especially when they got a lot of trips too. They'll they'll they'll, they'll push the limits. I'm maybe they're you, you know maybe they're just talking to you about sports and they lose control of their car. You know maybe they're oh, yeah. maybe they're Nick fans and you you pissed them <laughs> oh, off. I've gotten plenty of those. They're like, oh, why are you leaving this place? I'm like, oh, I work here. <laughs> so why don't we get into the Nets? They get swept yesterday. Uh, an embarrassment form, an embarrassing form. And, and to me, Kyrie Irving really didn't have anything smart to say after the game. He says he wants to help manage the team when we don't even know if he's coming back next year. Now, he says that he wants to be there. He wants to be a net for life. He also said that with the Celtics. Where do you see Kyrie Irving going in the offseason? Do the Nets offer him that contract, which they waived after the COVID situation? I think mean, they give him something, right? It doesn't matter on the years or how, how whether it's going to be a Supermax. It's not going to be the Supermax. I can tell you that much. I'll be shocked if it's the Supermax. Outside of that, I would imagine that they probably pair it up with Kevin Durant. So it would probably be a three, four-year deal. And then I'd imagine that the Nets would probably gain, gain some leverage in that situation too and probably make a team option instead of a player option. So I'd imagine that's the same pair. And then I would say the team option will probably go into a year when Kevin Durant's out of the contract, especially since Irving's publicly said multiple times he wants to finish his career there. So obviously when you think about Kevin Durant, for example, at that point when he gets out of his contract, he'll be 36, 37. Then you look at kind of like Kyrie. He's obviously younger. He's only 30 right now. So if you give him a four-year, he'd be 34. And at that point, you know, a lot of people speculate that Kyrie Irving may be that one guy that retires at 35, 36, just because obviously, you know, he hasn't played 60 games in a season. A lot of people say his head's not completely at basketball. 
So you have those type of aspects to it too. But you know, it's they're definitely going to come to an agreement on a deal. You know, it's not going to be a one year deal or a two year deal. I, I can imagine they're going to match it up with Kevin Durant's extension. Now, do you think they're exclusively just a package deal, like they're going to be in on it together or nothing? Or can you see it where maybe one guy goes and they go after a different superstar player or trade for another guy with whatever limited stuff they have left? Do you think they're attached to the hip or do you see another scenario? I think they're attached to the hip unless something happens in a regular season, right? Because like, if you had to look at, obviously, this the roster construction, especially what they did after the deadline, We've obviously James Johnson didn't give him good minutes, but he could have really been needed in that Boston Celtics series with size and length. You look across the board, t- training one of their best three and D wings and DeAndre Bembry. You know that was a big miss on there. What they had uh, when they were matched against the Celtics. You look at other handling, other kind of areas too. Ball handling. They didn't really have a good ball handler, especially with Goran Dragic not playing a lot of minutes. That could have been Javon Carter, who they also uh, waived, and he signed with Milwaukee too. So it's like. You know, th- there's going to be a lot of room for improvement on this roster, and they're definitely going to make a lot of big changes. I can imagine that uh, there might be a trade or two that's going to be surprising, especially because they know, too, like, you know, Kevin Durant, like, even though he's in, he's lo- he's locked in for the foreseeable future and all that, you know, he's at that age or that age point where he's coming out of his prime. You know what I mean? Like, father time, don't get me wrong, this is Kevin Durant. He was shut down the Celtics series, but in the regular season, he was he was dominant. So when you add that all up, you know, I really do think that Kyrie and Kevin Durant definitely tied at the hip. But at the same time, you know, with this team, and obviously, as we all know, anything can happen with this team. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if one of them does go a year or two down the line. Steve Nash, okay, was really outcoached by a rookie coach. He hasn't looked good the last two years. Even when he took the team to the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, he looked like he was in no man's land uh, Mm -hmm. last year against Milwaukee. Where do you see them going this offseason? Do they keep Steve Nash or they decide to part ways with him? I think it depends on what who's available and what the coaching pool looks like, right? Because, like, right now there's only three head coaching vacancies, and the same names are hovering around the same positions. You got Mike D'Antoni, who's kind of surprising, right? Because, obviously, he was a Nets assistant on the staff there, and I would imagine that if he maybe came in, Steve Nash would take an assistant job, or, you know, there would be kind of like a little bit of a demotion, but he'd stay on the team. I would see that would be the most – that's probably the worst-case scenario for Steve. I think his job's pretty secure. Especially Mark Stein reported it. Steve Steve said himself, "Hey, I want to come back." You got the superstar stamp approval from Kevin Durant last night. It's not like Kevin Durant's gonna say, "Hey, I don't want him here," <laughs> but like you know, like he he got that across. And Kevin also like if you read between the lines and see how he said, he kind of took the question a little bit dis- disrespectfully because like, dude, I just got swept in a first round series. You asked me who then catch the head coach is gonna be next year. You know, he had like that type of like attitude to it. But, you know, with Steve, he's got so much like, you know, because like, you know, in the NBA, there's third year windows like that. When you enter that third year window, you're either gone or you're in still. Right. And Steve's hit that window. But at the same time, he's a lot of built in excuses. Like he could say what he wants about like the coaching side, the adjustments, lack of rotations, experimenting so much throughout this regular season with the players that they had. But at the same time, you can't underline the kind of just like the what he's really just dealt with, you know, like from COVID-19 outbreaks, the whole Kyrie Irving saga with the vaccination. Kevin Durant's MCL sprain. And you just go back to the net last year too, with those same kind of factors, you know? So no other coach in the NBA would have dealt with that the way that Steve Nash would have like, think about it. You think like if you had Mark Jackson in those shoes, when Kyrie Irving was going on with the vaccination status, Mark Jackson would have just blew, like blew down a couple doors. You know what I mean? Like it would be pretty rough. So he's got a lot of, and plus you gotta remember like Steve also played with Sean and Phoenix. There's that connection there. And, you know, and at the end of the day, he got really outcoached by a guy that literally was on his staff last year. That's why he got outcoached so bad because Steve doesn't make that much many adjustments. And especially Ime, who's really his defensive coordinator last year, just outschooled him on all avenues. 
So we've seen this experiment where they've gotten Kyrie and KD and then try to bring in a lot of veterans. Look a lot like what LeBron used to do in Miami, sometimes in Cleveland, too. It seems like in the NBA, it only seems to work with LeBron teams. So Mm. do you think the Nets at this point are stuck trying to do that again and try to duplicate it? And with this, I guess, underwhelmingness this season for the Nets and even the last two years, do you think teams will shy away from doing that across the league? I think teams will definitely start shying away from it a little bit, but at the same time, luxury cap does go up each year, right? It doesn't go up a lot, but it goes up a couple million. It goes up 10, 15 million next year. I think it's going to be 10, 15. But, you know, it's one of those things where you have to really, if you're going to pair superstars, like if you think about James Harden, Joel Embiid, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, they got to complement each other very, very well. That's the only way it's going to work. And especially with Kyrie and Kevin Durant, two guys that really just need the balls in their hands to just really be effective. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it's, they've, they've worked well off each other, you know, it's, but at the same time, there's so many ISO ball at one night, you got Kyrie Irving dropping 60 next night, you got Kevin Durant dropping 40. There's never like a nice little, uh, collective effort out of both of them where they drop 20 each or 30 each or stuff like that. It's always his night or his night or Durant's night. You know what I mean? So you have that aspect to it. And then, like you said, you know, when you have signed those max contracts, especially like Ben Simmons, for example, he's sucking up a lot of money sitting on the bench. <laughs> and, um, you know, once you have that, you got three maxes, your, your depth's not going to be that good. You got to really kind of work with your budget. That's why they had a lot of vets like Drogic, Blake, LaMarcus, and all those guys join the team late to go ring chasing. But, you know, it's like one of those things that, like, you know, I don't, I don't see a lot of teams like kind of going away from it. But at the same time, if you're going to go away from that, you have to have a really good like draft core that you draft and kind of build up through the draft. You have to like Ben Simmons outfits, at least. I mean, that looks like a pack of Skittles, man. Like, it's just like, it's, it's, it's insane. Like, I'm just like, don't get me wrong. I feel for the dude on the mental side, you know, like you got all that aspect to it. But the thing is, it's just like. I don't know. The Nets handled that so poorly. Yes, they like, did. They handled they handle it. They, they couldn't have handled it worse, mm. if you really think about it. Because it's like, you hear from the start, it's like, okay, he's aiming for a game four return. Mm-hmm. And as long as there's no setback, he wakes up one morning, he's got back soreness, he takes himself out. And then, like, then the reports come out about a mental aspect. We asked Nash about it. Nat, Matt, Nash goes, hey, there's a mental component. So there's, like, oh, so God. many different factors. Then you add the grievance thing with the Sixers in the equation. You know, it's and that's it's, it's, players can downplay that as much as they want as that not being a distraction, but it is a distraction. We are talking to Nets daily writer and reporter Chris Milholland. Chris, Sean Marks, okay, he's been there mm-hmm. for a little while. He traded away practically their future for James Harden. It didn't work out with James Harden. Uh, this same thing happened with Billy King when he traded away their future for an old Kevin Garnett, an old Paul Pierce, and an old Jet. It didn't work out. It went one series. They beat the Chicago Bulls, and that was it. If this doesn't work out now with this this Ben Simmons thing next year, I mean, you have to fire Sean Marks. It, this is this is uncalled for. You traded away your future. You had Harris. You had uh, you had all these different guys. You had all these great young players, and then you just throw them away for a superstar player that obviously doesn't want to be there and can't stay healthy. Does Sean Marks keep his job if they fail next year? Well, really what it comes down to is like, you know, in a superstar-driven league, especially when you got Kevin Durant as your main superstar, and you go across the league, superstars got a lot to say, and obviously – when a guy like James Harden pops up the market, I can imagine Sean Marks went in and see what the value was. But at the same time, it was Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving that pushed the needle on it and made sure the deal was done. They said, hey, we can mortgage our whole entire future until 2027 if you really want. And that's what they did with the first round picks. Then you look at kind of like you could tell, too, because if you looked at how the Nets were run, 
when Marks got there in 2016, 2017. And then all that year of just building up. So you got the, obviously they went from 20 wins to 40 wins, 42 wins, obviously D'Angelo Russell era on that time. Mm-hmm. And then when you get Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Kenny Atkinson, all, all of a sudden gets, goes gone. You know, he didn't really have a fair chance at all. He didn't get to coach a healthy roster with Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving on it. Well, together as a unit, you know, Steve Nash was brought in. He, he worked with Steve or Kevin Durant worked with Steve and Golden State as a player consultant back in 2017 when they won a championship together. You know, so it's it's that's that's the main impact. So Sean's got to kind of, and really, really, this is like a whole type of I wouldn't say a memo to like an NBA GMs, but there's a limit where it comes to giving a lot of players power to let the guys that are in those chairs do their job. Because we could see what happens here is especially Sean, he was very conservative about the Nets' future for years. He's always, I'm not mortgaging my future. I'm not doing this. But at the end of the day, when James Harden pops up in the market and, you know, James Harden's not going to come at a cheap price at all, especially when he was coming off those Rockets years, you know, he had, he showed up overweight and everything, but he's still going to have high value. But, you know, if, if Sean Marks, for example, you know, if the, if he can't deliver a championship in these next two, three years, you know, two, three gotta, years, I'd say next that, year. That, that, well, that's a stretch yeah. too. If you don't even get it done next year yeah. or even like, you're not even good standing next mm. year, if you enter the playoff seven, eight, like, obviously, like I said before, this team has so many built-in excuses that you could throw around with injuries, COVID, vaccine mandate. If you even want to throw that as an excuse, like you know, so yeah, he's a, he's he's definitely his seat's a little hot. I want to say it's hot, but you know, he, he's it's hot. One of his best picks was Karis Levert. Like I was saying, yep. he's turning into a star. I know he had that heart problem. He trades him. He goes to Indiana. Now he's playing with Cleveland. I, I mean, you traded all those young pieces away. That was something. Jared you, Allen. Yes. It just. He's literally on the cusp of being an all-star. One of the best <laughs> young ring defense. Like, I'm telling you, man. It's it's poetic. It's it's really poetic, man. <laughs> oh, my God. It sounds it's like poetic. the Nets. It definitely does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Never a dull day in this in this uh, seat. I'll tell you that. I know it, I know it isn't. <laughs> so you're talking about player power as a whole. And obviously, James Harden was still on the Nets the last time we had you on the show. So what do you think was the biggest reason for that whole fallout the way it happened so quickly because James Harden was traded literally in January of that year 2021 to the Nets we have you on the show later that year and then all of a sudden literally about a year later he wants out again so what do you think was the biggest fallout between James Harden and those other core players even some of the other veterans obviously no players are going to say but it's Kyrie Irving's availability at that time you know that's that's the main ticking point of the whole thing right because at that point he couldn't play home games there was no movement at all about the vaccine mandate getting lift and obviously when you have the NBA trade deadline, which was February 11th, think about the mandate got lift like a month later. But at that point, it's like, okay, this team hasn't played together at all. They were struggling at that point. James Harden was also out. Kevin Durant was leading a bunch of rookies. And obviously those rookies, two of them couldn't even play in the postseason unless they have their contracts lifted to a standard deal. And you look across the board, you know, just the rotations, Nash experimenting as well, putting out different lineups and different pieces. Like Nash put out James Johnson, Andre Drummond, and Blake Griffin on the floor together. Like it's like James Harden's probably sitting on the bench, like, like man, like Daryl Morey, what you up to? Like you know what I mean? Like there, it's 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 it was that point, you know. So that it was that hard of experimenting there. So you know, it it's definitely it was definitely Kyrie Irving. Obviously, his availability because if you don't have Kyrie Irving, then you got that. Obviously, with James too, he made it a big point coming to Brooklyn that hey, I want to come here, but I also don't want to be that that I have to score 30, 40 points a game. And when he, in that whole entire year when he was on the Nets, he was demanded of that. That's what they really needed at that time. Obviously, they had Kevin Durant on the floor, which alleviates a little pressure. But when you really just dive into it, you know, James James was like, you know, not 
down I-95, like right down there. Who is that? Who we got? Phil, we got Joel Embiid, a bunch of shooters. Reminds me of the Rocket days, you know, and they're like, well, they got a core together. You could say what you want about Doc Rivers. I don't know how he feels about Doc. Can't you know? stand him. Yeah, I can. Yeah, he's. I think he's gone too. So I don't know, but I think D'Antoni takes that job too. I could. I would be. It, that's like scripted. It's. It's gonna happen. But um, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Yeah, that's that's kind of my answer in a nutshell. It's definitely Kyrie Irving's availability. No one's gonna say it, obviously, but yeah, it was that. Chris, this uh, offseason is going to be very interesting for a lot of the New York teams with the Knicks. I mean, you, you heard the Knicks were over there in Dallas, uh, and you had Julius Randle scouting. I mean, Julius Randle, Mr. Bricklayer himself, is scouting. To, you know, obviously, Jalen Brunson's a free agent next year. Uh, you have, obviously, Donovan Mitchell wants out of Utah. When you look at this offseason, and it's not a good free agent offseason, where do you see the Nets going? Even with these trades that you're saying that they might surprise the world and make a trade, what's out there where they can make a trade that can make this team that much better? You know, I think it's going to start with wings, right? I can imagine they're going to probably inquire on like an OG and an OB type player, you know, some 3 and D guy that's probably going to be on a little bit of a cheaper side. You would give Seth Curry maybe a first, their last first of 2028 20, or whatever the case is. And then you look at the other side of things, you know, obviously you're going to look at the buyout market when that time comes. The Nets are always aggressive then. That's obviously in March. That's well after the offseason. And then they don't have any picks as well. So I can imagine they may make a draft uh, draft day deal just to get a player or even get a third team in a deal to receive a player back. Then you look at like other avenues and, you know, when even though like, you know, the Nets have had two disappointing years, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving is attractive for a lot of players, especially in a big New York market where obviously you have the endorsements, you obviously live in the city, you know, you get all those extracurricular stuff that come with the position. You know, it's definitely a little bit of attractive. Like I've heard that from a lot of guys too. Like I remember I was texting Jamal Crawford and he was telling me too, he's like, yeah, like that attracts a lot of people. To especially like in New York, LA, you know, big market teams. Mm-hmm. So it does attract. So when you think about this Nets team as just a whole, you know, it's, it's one of those things that like, you, you don't have much value in Ben Simmons. Yeah. A lot of people think that Ben Simmons could get flipped and you know what, like what, but what team is going to really take that on and what, and what are you really going to get in return? Cause there's a lot of money on that deal. The guy hasn't played. You got obviously all the other stuff that comes with that package. That's not going to be too out either. So, you know, I, you, you really have to start looking at your outside piece. You got to look at Joe Harris. You got to look at Seth Curry. You got to look at, like, all these other guys, you know. So it'll be interesting. But I think they do make a couple small splashes. But at the same time, it's the Nets. You know, Sean, Sean knows his title window's closing. We are talking to Nets daily writer and reporter Chris Milholland. Uh, you, you mentioned Ben Simmons again, and it's so funny. How does this man, who's making a ton of money right now in the NBA, uh, and, and I'm not trying to be rude and I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. This guy's suing Philadelphia for $20 million. He didn't play at all this year. Uh, he has a lot to say on and off the court, not only to Doc Rivers, but some of the players. Joel Embiid said, get him out of here. I don't want to deal with him anymore. He's very hated in the NBA right now. A lot of people don't want to play with him. How could you sit here with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in the offseason and say, listen, we're going to give you a healthy Ben Simmons. By the way, he didn't even want to step on the court in, in, in the Celtics series to help us out. Uh, we're going to bring him in, and we're going to make a nice trade and bring another decent player in to help you guys out, and we're going to win a championship next year with the team that we have. How could you sell that to Kevin Durant after being swept for the first time in his career in an NBA playoff series? It's all about trust, you know, especially with Kevin. You know, like, he, this is the same guy that when Ben Simmons was straight, hopped on the phone with him, talked about everything, and, you know, he's the leader of the franchise. And with Kevin, too, it's like, that, that's, that's a great point. Because, you know, with Kevin, he knows that, like, that, 
listen, man, like even if you were put this roster even next year and you had a full healthy roster, that team's not it couldn't even get past the second round, in my opinion. The roster construction is just it's really bad. So when you have to sell the, these type of things to free agents and trust, it really comes down to okay, this that's Kevin Durant, that's Kyrie Irving. At the same time, we know what could happen if in New York with vaccination mandates, if obviously COVID comes back and the waves come back. With Kevin Durant, obviously, he's had a couple seasons in a row now where he's had injuries. He's missed at least 20 games as well. So you have a lot of stuff in, in those factors as well. It's hard to sell. But at the same time, I think a lot of a lot of guys would be intrigued to go for it. Because, you know, like that's the thing. Because with Ben, you like it's one of those things you just don't know what the, what's going to happen. It's like the fit, for example. Like last time, like um, what was it? I was talking about like when Ben Simmons – arrived in that's so i was like i i gotta see how it works out before i could even make a guess because they could put him in the post they could make him facilitate rebound push and transition just your overall number one guy that you put on their best off the opposing team's best offensive weapon right. so you have that as well he's gonna plug a lot of holes if he does play and if he does um actually like you know string together a lot of games here but you know it's it, this team's just a big what if team you know that's that's really what this team's identity is it's just what if what if kevin durant was healthy what if kyrie irving got the jab what if ben simmons played you know it, what if they don't wear any underwear cool. during the game i mean seriously i wouldn't rule that out of kyrie irving <laughs> <laughs> oh man so, the brooklyn nets so I, I is there a player that maybe is not as talked about that might be available in the off season, whether it's a star player or whether it's a, like a good role player that you think would be realistic for the Nets to acquire. It's so tough because it's like it's. I, I honestly do think this team's going to be in a big house cleaning situation, and they're really going to just start from the outside and build around KD here. And like when you have a guy like Ben Simmons, for example, like if it's going to be a star, Ben Simmons has to be in that deal because you can't afford it. You know what I mean? You can't. The luxury tax is already through the roof. And that, it really depends on what team's going to take that on. If Donovan Mitchell really shoves himself out, are you going to want to put Kyrie Irving and Donovan Mitchell together? Are you going to put Kyrie Irving off the ball and have Donovan as a primary ball handler? You know, they're both real shooting guards at the end of the day. So I don't think they're going to correlate well. And then you have Kevin Durant as well. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you just kind of, really just see out and what happens you know like i thought like maybe like it's a stretch here you gotta look at what deandre ayton's availability is obviously he's gonna want a huge deal but you know i can imagine think about it, if you're in his shoes and phoenix denies you an extension signs landry shaman over you and then obviously phoenix is good that they, built on continuity playing right now two two but like you know, it's it's really up in the air. It's really what can the Nets gauge with the tools that they have in the shed because they don't have a lot of a lot of tools at all. You know, so it's they're in, they're in a sticky spot. They are really in a sticky spot. Chris, we really appreciate you joining us. You're awesome, and and really, uh, we only hope for the best with the Nets. <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> well, at least give me like three I'm a weeks Nick so fan. I can actually just I'm like, a Nick relax. fan. I know. Like, I, I, like, I know. I know with this team, like that, like it's always like in the off season, you're out, you're with your boys, and it's yeah. just like bang, whoa, yeah. shit. it's like, oh, my God, I <laughs> well, you house. look at it, look at it, the, the look at it, the best way you could look at it. You don't have to go to the games anymore. You can sit in the bar, hang out with your boys, and not deal with the crap that you have to deal with after the games. So that's well, a good I thing. Told, me and the boys, if Raptors force a seven, we're in Philadelphia. That's all. <laughs> we already got the tickets. We got the refundable too on the insurance too. So. 
We're starting early. We're starting well, early. No well, time to waste. Well, hopefully James Harden actually starts to play because I, sometimes I think he's in la-la land half the yeah. time when well, the playoffs you know, start. We know how he is in the playoffs. Yes. You know, this isn't he's now though. the third option. Yeah. It's yeah, unbelievable exactly. that Maxie becomes the number two option. He's the third option when this guy's a superstar player. comes from Houston. Yeah. By the way, it's- he's a choke artist. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, man, like, you know, it's it's one of those the little quick point. It's one of those points. It's like when you look at all those guards, right, that mm-hmm. have been aggressive getting to the rim. Like, think about it, a Brandon Jennings, mm-hmm. a Derrick Rose, all those guys that really played physical. All they play with the Knicks. Their, yeah, they're always, <laughs> they always have their collapses when they're in their early 30s. And that's where James Harden is right now. When you throw your body around like that, constantly bang, just just bruising up a lot of defenders. You're not going to hold up forever, and you know I think that's what's happening with James Harden right now. Go ahead, throw the Knicks under the bus. Go ahead, throw it what, deeper. The Knicks, D- dig them deeper. It's a hole. It's six what? feet under. You know that was Phil Jackson's fault. I love players. Your Knicks aren't good standing. It's just that Leon, like Leon's got to make a couple more appearances. I've seen that guy like twice. I've seen Rob Polinka more than him. Uh, you know, we have uh, Worldwide West. I mean, he's that, gone. Oh, well, he's uh, – he, I haven't seen him either. Well, I haven't he seen was, him since, like, he was holding up the jersey when he was signed. He was hanging out with Julius Randle at the Dallas game. <laughs> I know. I'm like I, – I, I saw that, and I was like – because they didn't even, like, cut it at the camera either. They, like, you know, they had the little imbalance. I'm like, there's no way. What the true. hell is Julius Randle doing over there in Dallas? Well, I know he Dallas lives Utah. there. Like, he has an off-season home. Come what on. are you doing? Like, what are you doing? It's, like, it's, it's so fresh after the season, too. It's like, you couldn't wait. It's like, you know, like, go to, like, a conference finals. And, like, go sit in, like, the fourth row. And, like, you know, it's hope a, the camera doesn't get it's on. Trying, it is an absolute He's trying to find a way to get traded there and then just get traded out of there again like Porzingis did. Yeah, <sighs> well. Let's Mavs, not get Mavs won that trade. Yeah. <laughs> they got the boy Dinwiddie down there, and you know he's thriving. Yeah. Same with Brunson. And the Knicks they're lose. Gonna, they're going to regret not paying Brunson that 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 cheap extension. Absolutely, and that's where he, oh, really? I oh. I believe Jalen Brunson will be a Nick next year. I absolutely believe that. You want him? I'll take him. I, I, they need a point guard. What, what are you giving him? Uh, I, I think the Knicks it's are probably, tough, right. It's it's probably between seventy and eighty million. That's what he's going to get. And. Uh, with mm-hmm. with Donovan Mitchell, they're going to have to trade probably Julius Randle to br- to bring him in. I mean, yeah, uh, that's what they're going to have to do. And either you know, that or trade. On how bad, Don, depending on how bad Donovan wants out, you guys have leverage. You know what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. That's that's the big thing too. If Donovan really shoves his way out in the offseason, you guys have leverage there. You know, absolutely. so it's not going to be a package where they're going to command R.J. Barrett, for example. You know, they're not getting like, him. So no, <laughs> it's going to be like it's going to be like. Julius, Alec Burks, and like you know, maybe maybe a first or two. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It'll mm-hmm. be something like that. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you, Chris. Tell the fans how they can find you on social media. Uh, I'm on C-, C Milholland SB on Twitter. The works on Nets Daily, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, dude. I don't <laughs> got like, I don't got too much, dude. I'm just living out here. Well, we really appreciate you joining us. We'll get you on very, very soon. We love you. Yeah, dude. And, Whenever uh, you want me on, you know how to reach me. You know how to text. You know, do do your thing. All and right. Hopefully I'm not going to be in the back of smacked in the back of a Camry or whatever that. Well, you know what? Me. The next time you see Kevin Durant, tell him to take his uh, game-worn underwear and sign it for Speedy. He wants to frame it. And, no, and, I would burn it. Uh, he wants it. He really no, wants I would it. just burn it, Chris. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm looking at his little green screen back there. You know, I'm thinking that's Fenway, isn't it? That is Fenway. Yes, yes it is. Oh. Oh, man. It's funny. We actually had a guest about two months ago that actually thought I was in Boston because of that. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. They're like, get out of there. 
Dude, you know Boston fans too. They'd be chucking any like can at you up there. Yeah. They'd be just... and, and and we're hearing we're hearing all the abuse from Boston fans all over social media to me saying that ah the Yankees they're disgusting. <laughs> yeah, how do you think I've I, I've got a fair share of Boston in my and past three days mm. everyone's just like sending like just random just it's like guys I'm like what are we doing here? You heard it. You heard it right here. A Brooklyn Nets writer says he was in Boston and they treat you like garbage. So there oh, you go. Lord. Oh, Lord. Well, listen, Boston, they got some good good homegrown beer up there, I'm telling you. I'm sure that, they that's, do. That's the one good thing about it. Did you, you bring know? your raincoat? <laughs> oh, no. Hell no. Hat's going to be good enough. You know, beer warms you up. <laughs> that's it. Oh, thank you, Chris. Yeah, we really that. appreciate you. No man. problem, boys. If you need me, let me know. Absolutely. Chris. Mill Holland, awesome. Uh, as everybody knows, Nets daily writer and reporter, fantastic. Yep. Really is good, funny guy. And uh, as you heard it from him, who was over there in the Boston series uh, against the Nets in Boston, saying you, telling you that the Net, uh, not the, I'm sorry, not the Net fans, the Boston fans are rude and disgusting and throwing things too. So, what does that tell you, Jeff? Oh, you're Boston. <laughs> New York fans are disgusting. They're all disgusting. There you go. When we come back, we'll get back into baseball. We'll talk about the Mets. We'll talk about the league. And we'll get into everything with the NFL draft and add a little taste of the Rangers heading to the playoffs as well. Here on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Loudmouths. You can call us at 631-672-3108. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Our last hour was great guests. Uh, John Dago was fantastic. Uh, uh, great information for the NFL draft mm-hmm. and, and where he believes the NFL draft is going to go two days away. It's unbelievable. It's so fast. My birthday, I'll be 40 on Friday. I'm just an old man. And he claims that there is no way the Giants could screw up. But the Giants had three first-round picks three years ago. And, uh, well, Dexter Lawrence has been the only one that's been, like, great so far. Yeah, well, I, we, we have to see what Daniel Jones is. We'll see, yeah. And uh, we all know what happened to Baker. So uh, yeah, who's now on the Chiefs? Which is a shame, by the way. What they... <laughs> it's like their third quarter too. Like that's how bad they are at quarter. Like Baker is. Like, they're trying everything there. I mean, the false stories that practically ruined that kid's career. It's just horrible. It really is. Uh, but anyways, that's that's hearsay. Uh, we're not getting into that. Uh, I do want to finish up and and, and get into uh, some Mets conversation. Who? Let's be honest. Um, I think the Mets are the hottest team in baseball right now. They're playing great baseball right now. They're hitting on all cylinders. Lindor's actually hitting the ball in the beginning of the season. I think he has four home runs. Uh, he has like 12 RBIs. He's been fantastic. Uh, he's batting close to 300. Pete Alonso has 15, 16 RBIs. He, he's second in the, the National League in RBIs. I mean, it's pretty amazing what this Met team is doing right now. And their pitching staff, even without Jacob deGrom, their starting rotation is ranked in the top three in almost every single category in all of the league. So you look at the Mets right now, uh, specifically, you're wondering what and how much they need to spend to put this team in, in, into winning form. 
Well, they've spent $800 million in the last two years, and now they're finally showing what that money is bringing them. I, I mean, to me, Max Scherzer getting $43 million, he absolutely was overpaid. Uh, they bring, they make a trade uh, two weeks before the season started, before, you know, obviously after the strike or the lockout. They bring in Bassett. I think Bassett's been fantastic for the New York Mets. Uh, and, and McGill looks really, really good. Uh, he's a young pitcher that is really, you know, he has had one bad start throughout the season. Right, so I guess far. the Giants were a good team. Right. But all in all, he's been fantastic. I, I mean, this rotation has been as good as any rotation. But the thing is, this bullpen is definitely, it definitely scares you. I, I mean, you going into each inning, when, when you take out that starting pitcher, you, you're really like, stapling or pasting things together for it to work. And Buck Showalter, this guy's a veteran manager. He knows what he's doing. He's been successful everywhere he's gone. Really, he's the Tom Thibodeau of baseball. I mean, the Mets in, you know, the New York sports, they're very good at that. They bring in, like, the these guys that are good for two or three years, and then they die. I mean, that's what happens. Rex Ryan, uh, he was good, and two years, and he dies. You know, he's gone. <laughs> So it, it seems like this is what happens to New York sports. But Buck is, is a guy that you, you very much respect. He understands the game as well as he does. He's, what, 70-something years old, 77, 78 years old. The guy's close to 80. He's still a good, he's a good manager in this league. The question is, is, is this bullpen going to last throughout the season? Is this bullpen going to be able to uh, take them to the, obviously, the all-star break in the trade deadline? Well, maybe they can fish or make a trade here and there to make, to make this bullpen a little bit better where they're going to the playoffs where they're not going to be scared to bring out one of those guys and, and, and actually fail. This is, the bullpen is so important when it comes to the playoffs. We've seen this over and over and over again when it comes to these baseball teams. The Yankees, for years, what made them great was their bullpen. Uh, and, and, and it's really helped them. I mean, with the years of Mariano Rivera and Nelson and Stanton, and remember those times in the 90s where they were dominant, Wetland, They've always built around good bullpens. The Mets haven't had a good, a good bullpen in a very, very long time. And, and the amount of money that he is, you know, obviously, uh, as uh, Uncle Stevie has spent, bringing in May last year, bringing in some of the pieces that they did this year. They traded Castro to the Yankees. Made absolutely no sense. One of your strong arms, you trade him away. I know you need a lefty. Why would you let Loop go? There was a lot yeah. of things that just doesn't make any sense. But that's what scares me about the Mets. If there's something, if you're a Mets fan, if there's something to worry you as the season progresses, it is their bullpen. It's funny you actually brought up Tom Thibodeau because the one thing that Buck Showalter has not done that we see Tom Thibodeau do all the time is wear out his players, both with the hitting and with the pitching so far. We've seen it where not one guy has been playing way too often and being drained out of that bullpen yet. You're right. Trevor May has not gotten it going yet. Seth Lugo's had trouble bouncing back, but I don't think that's on Buck Showalter. Eventually, you got to play these guys. So you have to just find the roles that fit him best. But other guys have found their roles amidst his management. Jason Shreve, who they got uh, for his second stint, has pitched very well this year. Drew Smith's had his best season of his young career so far. They got him in the trade. I think they traded Lucas Duda when they traded him, and he's pitched well. And even some of the young pitchers, you brought up McGill, also David Peterson's a guy who pitched well in the short season yep. that's, that's pitched well in certain different roles this year so far. Yeah, the money's still going to be a big 
big issue. But I think you're seeing now a lot of these teams not try to overpay for the relievers as much anymore as it is. So I think if the Mets are going to do that, you're like you're saying, it's probably going to be from a trade more likely than not. Because how many times have the Mets tried to pay for relievers that were good on other teams and they don't work with the Mets, especially with closers? And as a result, they can't build a good team bullpen. How good was a closer was was Francisco Rodriguez when he came from the Angels. He had a record-setting year. Comes to the Mets, does not pitch well. Uh, guys, guys like Jose Valverde, who have pitched well with Arizona and Houston, guys like that have not pitched well with the Mets. It's just weird the way that it's worked. But so far, these relief pitchers, because they're not in those types of roles, are doing well. And even Edwin Diaz, he's the big-name closer, but he hasn't, he hasn't been used a lot this year. Buck knows how to use him right, and it's see, seeing a big difference in his game. Absolutely. And, and I think Buck knows where this team is and what this team is all about. And I think he understands that this rotation is going to really handle the load throughout all the way to the All-Star break. And then he's going to have to figure out when Jacob DeGrom comes back, how this rotation is going to work. Do they move McGill maybe to the bullpen or Peterson to the bullpen? Uh, That's something that they're going to have to figure out because I think the weakest part of this team is their bullpen. And we've seen this over and over again, years and years. If your bullpen can't hold up going into the playoffs, there's no way you're going to win. This game is completely different now. You rely on that bullpen, especially when a pitcher gets gets into trouble, when you're down 4-1 to one in a playoff game and you're, you're down two games to none and you have a chance to really uh, fall apart in, in a series and you need a pitcher to show up. And he, he throws up a dud, A.K. Garrett Cole, in the wild card game, which cost the Yankees the playoffs last year against the Red Sox. So you need bullpen help and you need these bullpens to be, to be reliable. The Yankees have a ton of reliable young players and Schmidt and, and, and now Castro and all these other guys that they have. And by the way, shout out to uh, Anthony Rizzo is having a fantastic year right now. Right? Yeah. What do you think? He leads the league in home runs. He has eight. He has 18 RBIs, which is second in the league in RBIs. I mean, all those people and all those Yankee fans, including yours truly, that said, I wanted Freeman. I mean, Freeman doesn't have the numbers anywhere close to this guy right now. No. And he's on he's, he's on pace to to hit 30-something home runs this year and give you 100 RBIs. I mean, it's it, it's a great story. And, and for, for everybody that has taken shots at Anthony Rizzo, that he's washed up, he's not a good player anymore, and that's why he you know the Cubs wanted to trade him. I, I, when he came to the Yankees, he, at one point he was hitting the ball early in the early right. his Yankees career. I think he hit, first three weeks. He then he got COVID and then he got in a slump after that. Yeah, I, I, still one of the best defensive players in the league at his position, and he can hit for power. And you're seeing it right now. He, he's it's he's playing unbelievable. And and again, Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, these guys are hitting too. So. It's it's crazy. New York baseball is is better than we've ever seen it. The Yankees are what they're they're half a game behind right now because the Blue Jays have played one more game than them. Right. And and, and the Mets right now are in first place. I think they're twelve and six or something like they're that. Thirteen and five. They're, thirteen and five. They're thirteen and five. They're 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 half a game back of the best record in baseball, which is the Dodgers right now. But they're not far which behind. Which we expected. Yeah, right. It's it's really them, the Mets, and the the Dodgers, the Mets, and the Padres have really run away with it. And the Giants have played well too so far to start the year. And the Mets are going to have it's early. Yeah, it's early. Now the Mets are going to have some crucial, more crucial, better teams coming up. They're playing against the Cardinals, who they won against yesterday. They played the Giants, did well against them, took two out of three, which is good. They're beating good teams. And they're winning in ways you don't usually see them win either, uh, too. Good at bats, good base running. They kind of lucked out yesterday. Nolan Arenado had a throwing error, which you never really see out of him, that uh, rallied the Mets, uh, sparked a five-run ninth inning. But You don't again. hear Jeff right now about the Red Sox, do we? What's going on with your Red Sox? No, they've been kind of fluky this season so far. They've been... Jeff, I I can't hear you. Jeff, where are you? Hello? Jeff? 
<laughs> Jeff? Oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to add that. All right. I was waiting for one of the sound effects to play or something. Nah, I'm not going to waste my time, but we don't hear Jeff right now. We, uh, we haven't heard it from him. Not with the Red Sox. No. 7-11. and 11. Uh, Last year, oh, my God, we didn't think they were going to be there. Look at that. They knock off the Yankees in the lock. I know it's early. I know all that other stuff, but uh, you don't hear anything with Jeff right now the way the Red Sox are playing. So that just tells you one thing. Jeff likes to throw all the New York sports under the bus. When, and when New York sports aren't playing well, then we take a shot at the Yankees. Uh, and, and by the way, he, hate, he hates the Yankees so much that he roots on the Mets. So it just shows you where he Which is. Which he never did before that, no. too. That's the funny part. Like, he always made fun of the Mets, too. Like he, he, but as long as I've been with the network, it was always taking shots at the Mets, too, in addition to the Yankees. And now, all of a sudden, he'll root for the Mets. Thank you, Jeff. For Thank you for <laughs> like, all just... your great, smart, Alec... <laughs> You know, terminology when it comes to attacking not only New York sports, but everybody but your teams. And, and I love it, uh, by the way. Uh, by the way, uh, Snug says, me too, go Mets. Thank you, Snug. <laughs> you just want the, tat- you just want the tattoo on me, Snug. Yeah, we, yeah. we know the reason you're doing that. As far as the National League is concerned, uh, very surprised with the Marlins. Derek Jeter, you know, obviously steps down. Uh, you would think that this team was going to take two steps back. I know it's early, but 8-8, eight and, eight and they're in second place right now in the National League East. That says a lot about this team and management and where they are. I, it's very impressive. Uh, this is a young team. They traded away all those players. Carlo, John Carlos Stanton goes to the Yankees. Uh, how many? Yelich, yeah. Yelich, who was an MVP. Yeah. I mean, you gave up two MVPs, arguably the best catcher in baseball, and, and one of the best right fielders or left fielders in, all, in the game, Ozuna. Uh, for and, and really got nothing for them. And, and and look at what you're doing with the, the young players that you've brought into this team and this organization. Honestly, it says a probably, lot about this team. They've probably been the best, biggest ally so far at the start of the season. They just took two out of three from the Braves. They took two out of three from the Phillies. So they're kind of being pesky, too, and they're hitting a little bit this year, too, which is not normally their strength. They, we knew they had good pitching from last year. Their starting pitching's been still one of the best in the league this year. But they have guys like Jazz Chisholm, Garrett Cooper, who was an ex-Yankee, is hitting. Yep. They've got a lot of different guys hitting. Jorge Alfaro is a pretty good young offensive catcher that they got there that they got in the trade for Real Muto, another one they traded away as mm-hmm. well. So they're, they're making it work so far right Sugar now. pie, honey bunch. <laughs> Baby, I know you. All right, so you're adding that to your uh, set list of the uh, yes. halftime entertainment of the uh, red uh, the, the Toronto Raptors Baby, Miami Heat second round playoff series. Else. You like that, Speedy? I do. You're adding it to the random, completely set list of the that hypothetical, be the song, right? hypothetical Miami Heat Toronto Raptors second round playoff series there if the go. Sixers blow a three zero lead. There you go. I, I mean, the Brewers. Uh, I, I'm not surprised the Brewers are where they are. The Brewers are, are a very good team. They have a very good rotation. One of the best bullpens in baseball. Last year they had the second or third best bullpen in baseball. And uh, they have a great lineup. And Christian Yelich, who I expect to have another good season this year uh, if he could stay healthy. Right. Um, this team is potent offensively. Uh, they're a very good defensive team, very good defensive-minded. I mean, and they have a good coach, a good manager, yes. a guy that uh, absolutely knows the game very, very well. So, uh, And the Brewers have always fallen short. Every single year they fall short at where everybody thinks that they're a, a World Series contender. I think this could be the year for them. I, I know everybody keeps talking about the Dodgers and what they are, 12-4, and four, and how special they are. Uh, to me – the the Brewers have a very good chance, and also the Cardinals this year. Uh, and I know the Cubs have taken some steps back. 
I, I like the kid that they have, the Suzuki kid. I, I, I think he's had a very good season. If they could figure out what they're doing offensively in the middle of that lineup besides Suzuki, I expect the Cubs to be competitive and be a wild card team as well. So uh, I, I think the, the National League is very wide open. Cubs are good and young, too. They have other guys hitting, too. Patrick Wisdom's been a nice young third baseman they got. They got Nick Madrigal from the White Sox last year in the Craig Kimbrell trade. He's played well so far. So they've got a good young core. It's just a question of if they could get something from their pitching. Kyle Hendricks has pitched well so far. Marcus Stroman they brought in. He's, he's had a bit of issues so far. But we'll see. if he. It's only three games. He could bounce back for sure, too. But, yeah, the Cardinals and the Brewers will be interesting, though, too, because the Cardinals, obviously, they're going to have something to play for. It's the last hurrah for the Pujols, Molina, Wainwright core, those three. So they're definitely going to be motivated to win it for I mean, the Brewers, like you're saying, they lose. They've lost close series so far. Yep. Very uh, game seven against the Dodgers uh, in the a- NLCS in 2018. A very tight series throughout that one. Just fell short. They the Nationals coming back the way they did on them against Josh Hader is very uncharacteristic. And last year too, losing against the Braves too, which again they were probably more favored at the time. The Braves we weren't sure if they were to have the pitching. So they're, it's kind of like they do better as the underdogs when they've been highly favored. They haven't taken that next step. So we'll see if they end up doing that this year. They're definitely a, a candidate to do that kind of thing, along with probably a team like the Padres and the Cardinals. Absolutely. And, and and as far as the National League West, which everybody thought that this division was just going to be run away by the Dodgers, I mean, this is the best division right now in baseball. I know the American League East is obviously a very potent division. The Dodgers are twelve and four. The Giants are twelve and five. The Padres are eleven and seven. The Rockies are ten and seven. The only team that stinks in that division is the Diamondbacks. Yeah, they so, still won like, twice against the Mets. Well, that that's definitely a problem with the Mets. And, and the problem with the Mets over the years is they never beat the good teams. They, I mean, they never beat the bad teams. Yes, they always had. Especially, it's weird. The Padres, when they were bad for a while, I always owned the Mets too for whatever reason. They beat the good teams. They don't beat the bad teams. And and the Yankees over the last couple of years have done the same thing against Baltimore. How many times did Baltimore screw the Yankees where the Yankees might have not been a wild card team last year if they could have won four or five games? Also, the Yankees on the West Coast, too, like against the Angels when they were all banged up, against Oakland when they had like teams that were never supposed to be good. They always beat the Yankees at home on the West Coast for whatever reason. So, so again, you're looking at right now baseball. It's very wide open. It's still very early. I know everybody keeps saying, well, it's still early. It's only, what, uh, 17, 18 games into the season. But you're almost, you're almost at 25 games. And that's where you start to see where these teams are going to break, break out and break through and where you see the pace of these divisions are going to go. And it, right now, and a lot of people predicted, we've, we've had different people, different analysts on the show, where they say in the American League East, it's, it's the Blue Jays and the Yankees and everybody else. You know, so I expect the, the Blue Jays and the Yankees to chase each other throughout the season, play well against one another. And may the better team win and, and as far as that division is concerned, even with the Rays as good as they are mm-hmm. and with their rotation and, and with, with a lot of talented pitchers in that rotation. And the Red Sox, who are not healthy when it comes to the rotation, as you hear from Jeff, uh, when Paxton comes back and Sale comes back. Remember, Sale hasn't been healthy in two or three years. So to expect Sale to come back 100% healthy is like, uh, you know, Finding a hundred dollars, you know, on the ground. Not only that, the other teams in the division are battling injuries too, and they're still finding a way to win. The Rays have a couple pitchers injured too. Glasnow hasn't come back from last year. Shane Baz, another young prospect that they have who pitched well last year, is out for the first month of the season. They're still winning okay. Toronto's dealt with all kinds of injuries this year, and the Yankees have had a couple injuries. So, then no excuses for that for the Red Sox right now. Even though they had that, they just have to build other types of pitching, which those teams have done. The Blue Jays, the Yankees, and the Rays have all done so far this year in different ways, and. Yankees bullpen, especially, I think they have the second best in baseball right now and the uh, best in the American League. 
NFL draft, and we had a lot to talk about. And we did talk um, a lot with John Daigle, who is fantastic, and he knows his stuff. And he went through uh, certain you know places where teams could be drafting. And this Walker thing is very intriguing, very interesting, and that's why I, I love Jeff to call the show right now because Jeff knows. Uh, the draft and, and some of the strengths of some of these players. And I have no idea why Walker is right now predominantly going to win that number one pick. And I, I know Walker's a good player. He comes from that Georgia championship team, and they have a lot of good defensive players that are mm-hmm. going to be drafted in the first round this year. Uh, maybe three defensive linemen are going to be drafted in the top 15, which is crazy. Right. But you look at this, you look at this player and – do I think he's better than uh, Aiden Hutchinson? I don't. Do I think he's better than Kavon Thibodeau? I think Thibodeau could be the t- most talented player in this year's draft at his position. And that's saying a lot when this is a uh, really um, an, a defensive line draft. It, it's, it's been crazy with all these different pass rushers. Even a linebacker, uh, uh, what's his name, Ajabo or whatever. Ajabo, yeah. Ajabo, who's falling into the second round because of the injury, the torn ACL, or what was it, Achilles? Or torn Achilles that he got on his pro day. And then uh, Daigle mentioned Jermaine Johnson as potentially a top 10 pick now, so. Yeah, which is crazy. Well, I said that because I've been hearing that the Jets mm-hmm. really, really like Jermaine Johnson. Yep. And I heard that if it comes down to Kevon Thibodeau and, and Jermaine Johnson, it could be Jermaine Johnson. As as much as everybody likes Kevon Thibodeau and, and if the Jets are sitting there at four and Kevon Thibodeau is sitting there, you don't draft him, people are going to probably throw bottles, a.k.a. <laughs> New York fans, at uh, the Jets organization. I, I, I do think the Jets, and I do believe Joe Douglas has a plan on where he's going in this year's draft uh, at four. So it's so interesting, but excuse me, it, it, when you see what's going on in this year's draft and wondering where uh, some of these pass rushers are going to fall speedy, uh, I think number three is going to be the real telling position on where this could really, all these different players could fall where we wouldn't expect. Yeah, the wild cards are always going to be weird with those weird teams that draft unconventionally. The Jaguars have always been that for years. I think it's the Texans, the Texans wherever they go. The Texans are interesting because they haven't drafted this early in a long time and because they've been a pretty steadily good team up until the last three years, really. And they had all their draft picks traded. Uh, went DeAndre Hopkins, they won to the Browns uh, over the years. So <laughs> still... They're weird where it comes to – they also have a Patriots GM. They've drafted all different things, the Patriots, over the years. They could draft defensive backs. They've drafted linebackers. They've drafted offensive linemen in the first round. And pass rushers have really never been their main thing. But yet it's something they should do because of how loaded this pass rush class is. Even if Hutchinson goes two or Hutchinson Tibbet goes back-to-back – Jermaine Johnson's still another nice option over there that they could do. Obviously, there's the offensive lineman that if Jacksonville takes one of those, that frees up the other one at Quanu or Neal. If Neal ends up does falling, like Daigle was saying, maybe they trade back in with 13 and grab him too. It's There's a lot of possibilities Houston has now with that extra draft pick with 13 and with three. So there's a, they need everything. So there's really not a bad pick unless they reach really badly at this point. And that's the same thing with the Lions too. There's really not, they need everything probably besides offensive line and a running back. So they could go any direction. But yeah, the Texans are a wild card. I could see them going DB. I get they could they could be the monkey wrench or they could surprise everybody and take an unconventional pass. I'm reading so. what Will Brinson, uh, he's a writer for CBS Sports, three hours ago set up his mock draft. You ready to hear this? Top 10. You ready? All righty. Uh, number one. Trayvon Walker. Number two, Kevon Thibodeau. Number three, Derek Stingley. Number okay. four, Aiden Hutchinson. Number five, Iquanu. Number six, I guess the Jets are trading up with Carolina, Jamison Williams. Um, 
Uh, number seven, Ahmad Gardner. Uh, Ahmed Gardner. Uh, Jordan Davis at number eight. It's Atlanta, okay. Uh, number nine, Jame, Jermaine Johnson. And number 10, Evan Neal. Evan Neal falls to 10. So the Panthers trade back and still get Evan Neal. Yes. Is what, is what this guy's saying. Yes. Will Brinson. All right. That's that's an interesting scenario. That's uh, that. I don't know if that would happen. Most why likely. would the Jets trade up to six to draft I, 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 Jamison Williams? I also don't know why the Panthers would risk trading back with all the teams that need offense. I mean, they're probably getting it. They lost their second round pick, so they get their second round pick back from the Jets to move back to six. Still, they their biggest need is offensive line. Like, but why would the Jets do that? I think Jamison Williams will be sitting there at ten. Not only that, if it's not. Jamison Williams. It could be Garrett Wilson. It could be Drake London. Like it makes that makes no sense for either team. The Panthers are risking Atlanta, who could use offensive line. The Giants could draft two offensive linemen very easily. Seattle could draft offensive line. That's a big risk that you're running. Yeah, you might get the extra draft picks, but uh, Joe Douglas, we've seen him be stingy. How much Thank extra draft picks much. is going to be? Uh, so I would think I would think everybody, and I would say, spank you very much if Aiden Hutchinson falls to the Jets. Uh, yeah. Spank you very much uh, because that would be absolutely awesome for the Jets to get the pass rusher that they need, and arguably uh, one of the best pass rushers we've seen in the last three or four years, and maybe some people say the last ten years since JJ Watt. I, right. I wouldn't I wouldn't be upset. upset uh, no. I would be upset if. Aiden Hutchinson falls to the Jets at four. No, you can't I don't be. think it's happening. So I can't see it happening, too. I feel like he's either going to go one or two in some scenario. I don't think all three teams can draft that unconventionally. I mean, it is the Lions. It is the Jaguars. So it's possible with those two. The Lions draft tight ends and offensive linemen seemingly when they don't need them a lot of the times. And the Jaguars, like John was saying, they'll reach on defensive linemen. They've done that in the past with offensive linemen, too. A lot of the ones they've drafted have bombed over the years, too. And receivers, too. Like they, They're good for a couple of years, and then they either trade him or they get hurt, something like that, and they have trouble developing. Not that they're good with quarterbacks anyway. They've had Blaine Gabbard and Blake Bortles at quarterback, too. Now they have Trevor Lawrence, so hopefully that will change. What did I tell you about Derek Stingley? You heard it from, obviously, John Daigle. I've been saying this. Stingley is 100% healthy, and I still think, athletically, he is the best corner in this year's draft. You heard what Jamar Chase has said about him. Uh, Jamar Chase played against him and actually trained with him in the offseason. He says that he is by far the best corner in this year's draft. It's not even it's not even an argument, and and that says a lot when you when you think you think about uh, a guy a guy right beside him that's coming from from a very good program as well from Cincinnati and Gardner who some people say uh, didn't give a touchdown one time in the three years he was playing college football right. and, and not even I don't think he gave up more than a twenty yard reception the last two years he only gave up one twenty yard reception it's unbelievable when you look at his numbers so uh, I do believe they're going to try to move James Bradbury I mean they can't keep him with the contract that he has but it, it's so very interesting where this draft could fall and. Who would have thought when you when you look at this and you look at this draft that if you're looking and I'm looking, Kyle Hamilton is falling to 19 in his mock draft. Wow, nineteen! Really? I can't Could imagine, you imagine that. I can't imagine that late because look at all the teams in the in the eight through maybe 17 well, range. Well, he's saying right here at 11, Garrett Wilson, 12, Drake London. Uh, 13, Charles Cross. There's no way Wait, Charles Cross. So who trades up to 12? Because Minnesota doesn't need a receiver. Are they saying the Vikings drafting Drake London? Uh, he, they trade up uh, from Cleveland Browns, I think it is. Oh, okay. Yes. So Charles Cross, uh, Trent uh, McDuffie yep. uh, from the Miami Dolphins, uh, Chris Olave from the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Trevor Penning. Uh, Zion Johnson to the Chargers, Tyler Lindenbaum to the 
I, this doesn't make any it's sense. Philly. It's a Philly. Okay. I, I don't Philly know just drafted a center, too. I, I don't mean, know. That doesn't make sense. And they have yeah. Kelsey over there that wants to play at least another two Kelsey's years. going to play one more year, he said. He already announced that. Uh, and they also just drafted Landon Dickerson last year, who's first center. Quarter, first quarterback off the board to Pittsburgh, Malik Willis. Yeah, that's, that's, a weird, that's a really weird middle of the mock draft. And going back to what you were saying about Hamilton, there's endless scenarios of him going anywhere from eight to Atlanta because they could definitely use a safety. You, we've heard, like John Daigle was saying, Washington's interested in him because of the linebacker safety prowess that he brings in Ron Rivera's right. defense. They love players like that. The Panthers always did too when Rivera was coaching there. Minnesota could absolutely draft him at 12. Harrison Smith's getting older, and who's their second safety? is great. And Houston at 13. I can't believe direction. Kyle Hamilton falls to I can't imagine that kind of thing. I, I, if I were the Jets, I would trade my two second-round picks and move up to get Kyle Hamilton yeah. if he's sitting at I'm, I'm going to go with, with Daigle's theory on this one. I can't see him falling past the Eagles at 15. I don't think there's any other way that would happen because the Eagles love drafting safeties too. So. I mean, they were talking about Kyle Hamilton being a top five type of prospect in mm-hmm. this year's draft. And now in some people's boards, he's falling 1920. That'd be That'd ridiculous. be the equivalent of like the way Der- Derwin James slid too. He went slid all the way to 17, was thought of the same way as a yeah, top five and, prospect. Uh, I think Derwin James is the best safety in all of, uh, all of football right now. And, and Kyle Hamilton, they say is much more talented with the size and ability that he has. You could probably put him at linebacker, 220 pounds. Right. So I, I, with his size and his speed, um, I think he could play so many different positions and really change the, the, the form of your defense. Mm-hmm. But, and remember, they, they, we have seen Marcus Williams obviously went to Baltimore, so they need a safety, and, and Kyle Hamilton would be a perfect fit over there. Right. It, maybe the Saints move up and try to get him at 15 mm-hmm. if they could. So it makes a lot of sense. It does. Yeah, and then the other scenarios, like you were saying, if you play him at linebacker, that opens up the amount of teams that could need him there too if you want to use him in that role. That opens it up for Houston that could definitely use him as that kind of linebacker. Philly definitely could use him as that. They, they signed Kaiser White this offseason, but they've needed linebackers help for a while since their Super Bowl team, mm-hmm. really. And you got Minnesota that could use them in a lot of different roles. You got you got Washington, like I mentioned. And all these teams that also could trade up into the first uh, for, for the player like that, too, if they think they could use him in that kind of defense. I also think don't sleep on Seattle. They love drafting safeties. And mm-hmm. if they could take him at nine, too, if he's available, too, even though it's not their, I wouldn't say their biggest need because Quandre Jiggs is still solid. Uh, I think you got a case where they could do it, too. Mm. Well... I will say this. When, when we talk about the game and, and where the game is going, uh, football, it, it's become a speed game. And, and that's, that's where we, we see this draft. And you heard Daigle. Uh, this is not one of those drafts that really stand out. They're saying next year's draft is the year where everybody can't wait. They're going to try to stockpile draft picks because it, it's just so much more talent in next year's draft. I beg to differ. When they say that these drafts aren't the best drafts, they wind up turning out to be the better drafts. <laughs> We've seen this before. Okay. Except for 2013. Yes. Well, 2013 is different. But uh, this year, I think there's so much talent in this year's draft. Not the quarterback position, but every other position. The offensive line position with Aquano and, and obviously uh, Neal and Cross and all these other guys. This is a very good offensive line draft. And, and, and pass rushers, there's a ton of them. Mm-hmm. There is a ton of them. And some of them that could fall all the way into the second round. I mean, uh, you talk about... A Kansas City sitting at, at 29 and 30, they're going to get themselves two really good players. Right. I was actually looking at it, too, where there's— And by the way, he, he predicts Christian, um, 
he he believes that Christian uh, Watson will fall at 30 to Kansas City as well. Yeah, Kansas City's got a lot of different directions they could go in, too. I know Daigle was mentioning a lot of the pass rushers. I also wouldn't rule out the fact that they could take secondary help, too. There's a lot of corner depth. Mm-hmm. There's even a lot of those uh, hybrid players, the, both N'Kobe Dean and Louis Cine, uh from, from Georgia. Both of them are, are very good coverage, rangy linebackers slash safety guys. N'Kobe Dean will probably be gone by then, but don't be surprised if Cine's there for them. And all the corner depth that they could get, too. There's a lot of possibilities. And even interior defensive line, too. Davis, Wyatt, and Travis Jones, too. Another guy not to sleep on, too. Had a great combine. What is that? The, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars draft room? If that was the Jacksonville Jaguars draft room, I mean, could you imagine the smells in that room? <laughs> no, that was just Urban, Urban Meyer. Meyer. That was just Urban Meyer in the bar. Well, that's, well, that's him. That's him in the bar. <laughs> But it's so interesting. And in the second round, there's so many good players that will be sitting there where you see the Jets, they have two second-round draft picks. I don't see the Jets trading up. I could only see the Jets trading down. That's the only way the Jets are going to make a move. I cannot see them moving to six to get Jamison Williams. No. I think Jamison Williams will be there at 10 if they really want Jamison Williams. And remember, Jamison Williams is not going to play until November, they're saying. Yeah. He's not ready to play until November. So the Jets are going to have to be ready going into the season without him and not having that weapon where if they think they're – and I don't think the Jets are a playoff team next year, but I do expect them to be uh, much better than they were last year. And if they add a Quano, uh, which I, I've been hearing the Jets really love this kid, where are they going to put him? I right. mean, Makai Beckham is coming back this year. He's going to be your left tackle. That's why they brought Tomlin in. Are you going to move – uh, font into, but you can't Elijah Vera Tucker unless Elijah Vera Tucker is going to play center. Unless I mean, they're just going for the just rangy offensive. Are they going to trade theory. Font? Are they going to trade? Maybe, font? maybe the other thing is they might just be going for the rangy offensive line theory. I think they're building a line kind of like the Saints used to, where you have all these fast guys. Elijah Vera Tucker can move, Font can move, and Aquano can move too. And he could, he also played guard for most of his career at NC State, so definitely an option there if that's what they want. And Joe Douglas did but say, but it doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't think do it makes that? sense. I don't think it makes sense in terms of the best value. I mean, I mean unless if you all have, the pass rushers are off the board. But. Unless you're going to play all six of them. I mean, you could do that and, and have less one less offensive player on. I mean, that would be a – you would be building a wall. I mean, seriously. I mean, teams do do that now, but it's not as conventional in a spread offense type league. But then, again, we've seen the Browns have done that. The Titans have done that in recent years. So who knows? Maybe that's an option for them. But the Jets also have a good amount of receiving depth. Why they would want to waste to do that unless they're trying to put uh, Elijah Moore in the backfield more often than they They need pass rushing. It doesn't make any sense why they would do that. But, again – uh, maybe Joe Douglas thinks that Font's only going to be there one more year. You bring Aquano in, you can maneuver him around that line. Uh, if Makai Beckham doesn't stay healthy, you could put him there. Uh, if if Makai Beckham is healthy, you could put him at the guard position at some place. I mean, they're trying to build a wall for this guy, uh, Zach, so Zach can sit into the pocket and, and really pick you out of the you know pick you out in the pocket, which I expect them to do this year. I expect the offense to be more flowing, and you're going to see a lot more uh, speed on the outside if if a lot. Elijah Moore could stay healthy, and if they do bring in a Jamison Williams or somebody like that, which is going to give you depth at the wide receiver position, but what are they going to do at the pass rushing position? They're not getting enough. They're not getting enough unless they're going two pass rushers in the second round that are going to fall, and they will get pass rushers in the second round that are going to fall. Uh, there are quite a few of them that I'm seeing right now that could be falling. I like the kid Logan Hall from Houston, I think, is one that's good in the second round. Cam Thomas, I think, had the best or second best from San Diego State win rate 
in among pass rushers, edge rushers last year. So there's definitely some good options. Uh, I know Daigle was mentioning Arnold Akebity from Penn State's another one that's uh, uh, interesting. The other thing, too, is maybe Joe Douglas thinks that Jermaine Johnson, if that's the guy he wants, will be there at 10. So maybe he's going best player available for would be my only thing. They're, the They're saying Kaloftis. He's saying Kaloftis is okay. going to fall to 23. Oh, wow. You know, so if that's the case, the Jets could move up and get Car- Car- George Kalafis. Yeah, they uh, should. Yeah. I mean, if he's sitting there at 23, I, they have two second-round draft picks. If if there's a pass rusher that's sitting there at 23 or 24 and they really love him, they have to move Go up and it. get yeah, him. You know, because that could really position them. They get their pass rusher, they get their wide receiver, and they get an offensive lineman. They win. They win no matter what they do throughout the draft. That That is a winning uh, a winning tandem of three good players that you can you can use in your starting rotation uh, going into the season next year. Well, starting line, you know, starting fifty six. So, right. uh, and and the Jets need depth. They have none, and and they have to look at the position that need to be filled. The pass rush, the cornerback position, which I still think they're 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 going to look for more corner depth in this year's draft. The question is, uh, what kind of corners are they going to look at? Maybe in the third round draft, yeah. third round, uh, there could be two or three really good ones sitting there in the third round. So uh, it's so interesting when you see the Jets and you see the Giants. And you heard what uh, John Daigle says. He thinks the Giants are going to win in this year's draft. There's no way they can screw up, apparently. Let's hope you're right, John. <laughs> well... I mean, we are talking about the Giants. That's what I'm saying. They had three first-round picks two, uh, three years ago, and Dexter Lawrence looks good. Daniel Jones, the jury's hold still on, on him. Hold on. Yeah. Jeff liked to send me something, and he, he sent me something yesterday stating that in the last 15 years, the Jets have been the worst NFL team when it comes to drafting by far. Okay, he wanted to send me that statistic, and thank you, Jeff, because you you like to throw my teams under the bus because New York stinks and all the New York fans are idiots. So thank you, Jeff. Well, and thank you very much. And going back to the Giants, though, they have also a lot of options, but thank also you. they still have a lot more holes where they gotta they gotta fill. So they gotta make sure that this is what I feel about you, Jeff. <laughs> that's what I think. Okay, so thank you, Jeff. Yes, uh, that's a little bit for you. And that's for Snug. There you go. Oh, Snug gets one, too. Snug the cat. You know what? I'll give Carl one, too. Oh, what what did Carl ever do? I don't know. I'm just going to give him one. Thank you, Carl. (laughs) Snug also says Lions are going to trade this number one pick for Zeke because he's going to bet Lions fans forget the name Sanders. Yeah, okay. Colonel Sanders? (laughs) Yes, Colonel Sanders. I like that. Uh, KFC, baby. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Space Balls. But, yeah, the Giants definitely have a a range of options they could do, especially if this Bradbury rumor does end up growing more legs where they get him for maybe a third third pick, third-round pick in this draft where, again, that could – help them get options for them where they could go Stingley if he's still there. Now, Daigle was saying Houston is looking to get Stingley. Also, when rule out the Jets possibly as an option for them too, but the Jets are probably still going to go pass rush. So the Giants have options where they could do that too. If they have the leverage too, if there's other teams that are looking to trade up for Stingley too, if they really do believe he could be that number one best corner in this draft too, because Atlanta could use him, Seattle could use him. There's options where they might be scared of him going off the board, too. The Giants have to play that number seven pick role, too. They could also trade back, too, and try to accumulate draft picks with all the needs that they have, too. But I always, they definitely need one offensive lineman, at least. Daigle was saying cross. I know you were mentioning cross on the weekend. Crunch, too, is something that's yep. very likely for mm-hmm. the Giants as being the team that most was impressed with him at his pro day. And with the second pick, there's a range of options they could go to. They could trade back. They could go Jermaine Johnson if he's still there. Maybe they go with uh, Trayvon Walker, whatever pass rusher end up falling. Even though, it doesn't, even though it doesn't look like Trayvon Walker will be that one that falls <laughs> as we get another glimpse of the Jacksonville Jaguars draft room. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I don't know if that was a fart or a stunt bike. <laughs> maybe maybe that was uh maybe that was John Schneider on one of his stunt bikes while he farted at the same time. I like this app. This is a good app. I know you're having like you're it. having a lot of fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why don't we finish up with some hockey? <laughs> And that is an accurate depiction of the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> oh, how about your Rangers, man? I, I mean, the, the best position they could be sitting at as a, is two. I would not want to play Boston in the first round. It makes a lot of sense, being that they're two. They'd be playing Pittsburgh in the first round. It, they match up very well against Pittsburgh. And now, Pittsburgh, over the last couple of years, when they play the Rangers, when they meet the Rangers in the playoffs, they have really dominated the Rangers in the playoffs. But in the regular season, especially this year, the Rangers have been the better team, and uh, they have obviously one of the best offensive players in the league. And and really what this team has done in the second half of the season is score goals at will and, and get great goaltending. If this team can play the way they did in the second half of the season, and by the way, they're second in the league in goals against, which is it's amazing. What Golan has done for this team, this team defense, and they don't have they have one great defenseman, and the rest of the guys are decent. Yeah. They're not great, but this team has played so well together in Golan's defense. Uh, it says a lot for what he is, and I think Golan is the coach of the year this year. I really do believe it. He should he should win it, uh, especially where the Rangers were last year and what they've been the last couple of years and what their defense has turned into. You saw what Barry Trotz did and why he won uh, coach of the year a couple of times with the Islanders. He, to me, you have to give it to Golan. He's had a fantastic, fantastic year. Going back to the defense, that's what you need in today's NHL more than you just need one guy and a major drop-off after that. We've seen teams with a lot of these veteran core defensemen type teams that they have the one guy but don't have the line depth. Today's NHL is not really about the top as much as it is about the depth. Teams that win now have offensive depth. Look at the Oilers, why they don't win. They have McDavid and Dreisaitl, two of the best players in the NHL, and not much else to go on after that. Now, they're a little better this year, fine, but still... Those era where you have the two players and try to get away with it everywhere else doesn't exist as much in the league anymore. That's why Tampa's very successful. They had three, four lines of depth, won the last two Stanley Cups. The Penguins, when they won their two Cups, they had young depth. That's how Gensel emerged. And a lot of the players like that, Rust, Sheary, guys like that, they were pesky. We're talking about the Rangers. Like They broke out against the Rangers in the, the postseason. They never looked back after that. It's rare that you see in today's league that have the depth. So the Rangers having the defensive depth now with... The young players that have come up, Zach Jones, Braden Schneider, they got a trade for a guy like Cop, who's yes. who's been fantastic. Cop has been very good so far. He, he he's has, a free agent this year. They're not re- they're not bringing him back. They I hope they him. they might bring him back and not Strom though. That, that's, that's the other scenario. I don't know that if I'm they're going to be able to pay pay Cop. He's going to want a lot of money. Yeah. And, He's a good player. He's a guy that fits in any role on this team. And he's valuable because because they don't have a lot of those types of players, too. He hits. He doesn't take as many face-offs as a true center would, but he still wins 55% of them, and he's done well with that so far. He gets the tough goals, and he has good speed, too. And he has some playoff experience with Winnipeg, and that's what you need. You need that kind of leadership. And all these traded line acquisitions are creating some offensive depth for the Rangers from a veteran standpoint. Now, we'll see if the young players can step up in the playoffs where they haven't been consistent all year long. Lafreniere had a stretch in the beginning of the season, kind of died out in the second half. Capo Caco has been in and out with injury. And some of these 
players that they've gotten back in trades to the defensemen and the fourth line players have to play a little better. But since those trade deadline acquisitions, Cop Vetrano have come into this team. It's really boosted that. And Vetrano's got good playoff experience too with the Bruins out with Florida last year. You remember the Ranger fans taking shots at, uh, you know, Panarin. He hasn't had a good season, AK Tyler Harrison. Well, in 75 games, 22 goals and 74, 74 assists to 96 points. He's one of the league leaders in points this season. I think he's in a top 10 in league points. Uh, to say Panarin has had an offseason. Now, he's not having a goal-scoring season he usually has, right. but he doesn't need that. He he does everything around him better than everybody else. The speed, the ability to, to check and do the things. His plus-minus was over 21. He fits the mold of what Gallant likes. And Chris Kreider, he's had a fantastic year. Uh, going into the offseason, I really do believe that the Rangers have to look at Chris Kreider. As good as he is and ha- how good of a leader he is, he's going to be 33 next year. You need to decide what you're doing with him. Do you think that he is going to fit for the long haul of being that he has had a great season? Do you trade him and try to get as much as you can get back for him to rebuild some of the pieces and some of the weaknesses of this team? Now, it doesn't hurt to explore because he's going to be at his highest point in his career, though, too. He's never going to score 50 goals again. Yeah, but he was never that type of player anyway. He was always the pass and be physical type guy. He he was that guy that scored the tough goals a lot of the times, the deflections he was very good at. He was never the sniper that he has been this year, too. So when you look at the stat lines, it kind of is swapped with what Panarin has. Not that Kreider's ever had a 74 assist year, but he's had 40 assist years and low uh, high 40s close to 50 assist years when he was a second and third line player so he's capable of that kind of thing so it's it's definitely interesting what the market will be for that kind of thing because centers and defensemen are going to get warranted more than wingers and Kreider's been a winger his whole career he'll take a face off on occasion but that's really it and the other thing too is where will that leadership coming went into the playoff identity if the Rangers beat the Penguins and they show something in the playoffs that has a good playoff identity they might not want to get rid of that kind of leadership and just have all the team be young at once are you happy with Lafayette growth. I mean, 77 games, 18 goals, 12 assists. I mean, that for a, for a top pick, the number one pick of the draft, I mean, that's not good for your second year. I'm sorry. I, I expected a lot more from for Alexis, Alexis Lafanier. I, I expect him to be, be uh, a guy that's going to get closer to 30 goals this year and give you about 40 assists and give you 70 points. He, he hasn't done that for me. And, and also, Capo Caco. I don't know what's going on with this kid. 40, I know he's played in only 41 games. He can't stay. He cannot stay healthy. Seven goals and nine assists and, and 16 points in a whole season of game when everybody thought he was the second pick in the first round a couple of years ago. Everybody said this guy was a sure thing, a sure 40 goal scorer. I don't know what he is. I don't know. I don't know if his game translated into the NHL. The team, the, the playoff identity will change that kind of thing. If they do well in the playoffs and they they have the confidence to do that, which Capo Caco did that. When Reeves has 12 bed. points and he's only four points behind you, and this guy is a rough, you know, this guy's an enforcer. Oh, he's yeah. the guy that's going to hit you, and he only only has four points less than you. That's saying what you are, and and it's t- it's telling. It really is because I know Reeves has played in 67 games. He only's played in 41 games. Let's estimate how many goals he scores if he plays in another 40 games. What's he play? What's he score? 18 goals. Yeah, so he would be on pace for the 32 points on 14 goals and Lafreniere numbers. Lafreniere and then Lafreniere played in pretty much every game this season. 77. 77. That's not yeah. good. That's not good enough. Yeah. So I think when it comes to that. They will have to prove themselves in the playoffs, too, in order to get that confidence up for them, too. Because we see young players, too. Some of them do really well where they can't be stopped, and other times they crumble where all the pressure's on them, too. Lafayette's numbers is, uh, you know, when you look at his plus-minus, he has a plus-one. I mean, that's not good. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, that shows you you're not a defensive player. You don't, you're not a two-way player. And that would scare you if you're a Ranger fan going into the playoffs when you're depending on these young players to do the things that they need to do best, and that's play defense and play team defense. I, I'm telling you right now, this is not going to be an easy series against the, the Pittsburgh, P- Pittsburgh Penguins. And watch out for Sidney Crosby. He's 100% healthy. He should be looked at as an MVP candidate. He's not going to win it because of what McDavid, Matthews, and, yeah. and, and some of the other players. Also, Jonathan Huberto, too, yes. for Florida. Is that a phenomenal year as well? He also, the kid from Colorado, too. Yep. So, I, I mean, I, I don't see that happening, but Sidney Crosby has quietly had a great season. And uh, I think that this team is, is as scary. I mean, I'm talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins, are as scary as any team in the Eastern Conference because you don't know what you're going to get. If they get somehow good goaltending or decent goaltending, they'll win this series against the Rangers. They're a better all-around team than the Rangers are, and they're practically the same team they've been over the last three years. This is a different Ranger team with a different coach. Right. It's also, again, the, the veterans that have caught up to them that are stuck with the bad contracts, too, for the Penguins. They've had to make a lot of moves to try to get some depth of the young players. So they're going to need those kinds of players to step up like they did in 20. 20- 2016 against the Rangers, those new guys. And goaltending is always the wild card with the Penguins. Uh, how many years have we talked about playoff flurry? Which flurry are you going to get? Are you going to get the good one that won them a cup against the Red Wings? Or are you going to get the one that got benched for Matt Murray and all those guys for years? And right now, they, to me, they, they have the best goalie in the NHL this year. Uh, and, and that's just because of the numbers and when you look at his numbers. 36 and 13. Um, he has over 1,622 saves, 2.07 goals against average, save percentage, .935, which is the best in the league, and best goal, goals against in the league, too. So when you look at the numbers and you look at where he is, uh, he's probably going to win the Venzina Trophy this year. But uh, also, this guy has never played in the playoffs before. He's never been under pressure. When, when, the, when the game gets tough, is he going to be a Vlasileski or somebody like that that's right. going to play hard and, and play a Babaroski? We've seen these guys, these, these Russian players, play well at the top of their game when the game needs to be won by the goaltending. I don't know if Sesterkin could do that. So that's something that we'll have to see early in that series against Pittsburgh. Goaltending is a wild card for in terms of the core guys, the top guys in the league, having great stretches and then you can see middle tier guys having great stretches too look at somebody like look at somebody like Bennington with the Blues when his cop like he was a random guy he wasn't even the starter at the beginning of the year Matt Murray like I mentioned with the Penguins sometimes they just have these runs and then you have these great goalies elite goalies that just have weird playoff duds and Hopefully, Igor Shosturka can avoid that kind of thing. He had only, only a little experience with the Hub City playoffs, and the Rangers got swept, obviously, in three games by Carolina. And if they do beat the Penguins in the second round or in the first round, they'd have to play Carolina. So that's going to be a very hard test for them to be able to do that kind of thing. But yeah, especially against these veteran Penguins with Malkin and Crosby, even guys like even guys like Ricard Raquel, who they traded for from Anaheim at the trade deadline, has a lot of playoff experience. That he's going to have to be ready for that too and confident. And the Rangers defense is not going to have to allow all those. Shot attempts like we've seen him do in the past. We've seen Igor Shostakin get a lot of 30, 40 safe, sh- yep. uh, one goal or mm-hmm. shutouts, and they might not be able to get away with that, too. So they have to be a little more, I guess, aggressive in terms of different instances. Because the Penguins are not a, the Penguins are not a big team. They're, they're always more of the speed <laughs> throwback identity type team that worked for them for a little while. Now they're a having drop trouble. a deuce sound right there. <laughs> yes, give me a deuce. A deuce, yeah. Ho- hopefully that will be his goal against two. average. <laughs> number two. <laughs> number two. Who was the number two for the Rangers in the 90s? Brian Leach. That's right. So. That's right. Maybe that's a good sign. Hopefully, yeah. Ho- hopefully the defense plays like Brian Leach. That would be a nice thing. <laughs> How realistic it is is another, is another question. But... And now we go back to the fourth. It sounds like a motorcycle. 
that's a wet one. That's good oh, for yeah. snug. That's but, good for snug. That's, that's good for snug. I swear, I, I, that other one, though, sounds just like a motorcycle. <laughs> and I, I, I think it's perfect for if John Schneider ever farts if he's doing one of his stunts. No, that's true, too. I mean, John Schneider. Or John Daigle. Could you imagine John, John Daigle? Daigle? Hello, uh, John. How are you? I don't know. I picture John Daigle on a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> John Daigle doesn't look like the motorcycle type. Johnny, how are you? How do you smell? But again, he's got his—he's got his new Chicago girlfriend. So maybe. Welcome, Johnny. How are you? Could you smell like? <laughs> his new Chicago girlfriend won't like. Hello that. there, Jeff. Uh, how are you smelling? Let's find it. There we go, little Jeffrey. There you go, Jeffy, Jeffy. There we go. Oh, there we go. Oh, there we go. Anyways, uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we will be back tomorrow. Uh, we have a great show lined up for you guys. Probably around 10, 10, I would say about 10.30. Uh, the last hour and a half of the show, we will do our NFL a mock draft. We'll have a bunch of people on the show. We'll have Jeff. We'll have Carl. Uh, we'll have Nithin. We'll have maybe Gerard. Do we have Gerard? Uh, no, he couldn't make it tonight. Uh, Jeff is calling. Should I bring him, put him through? Yeah, or? I put him through. We'll talk to him for six minutes. What's going on, Jeff? Defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart, is what's going on. <laughs> the Time Lord is what's going on. Boston Celtics are about to just ruin the Milwaukee Bucks. Is still listening. We can get a bet going. <laughs> you want a bet? Oh, I would love to. Dude, Ben's a Bucks fan. Let's do this, Ben. I got a bet for you. I'll gladly send him a case of whatever uh, beer he wants from here. There's a lot of good ones, Cigar City, whatever. And I'll take whatever swill comes from Milwaukee. What, like Pat's Blue Ribbon or, or <laughs> Miller High Life or something? Whatever trash beer he would send. Mm. That's sad. Yeah, you're hurting him. It's not sad. It's all trash the best looking people in that state are all on making the murder. You you hate everybody. You hate everybody. You went you you go from Milwaukee to Wisconsin to New York. I mean, what Have is wrong with you? How awful the people from Wisconsin look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jeff, you are making a murder was a documentary about the people of Wisconsin. And they're all ugly. Are you talking about Jeffrey Dahmer? No. Stephen Avery, baby, making a murderer. Well, i There you go. There's another one from Milwaukee, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, I remember. Yes, I know all do you about it. Do you know what uh, Jeffrey Dahmer's favorite breath mint was? What was it? Mentos. <laughs> Mentos. That's pretty good. <laughs> You're disgusting. What? <laughs> Men toes. There you go. But that's representative of those psychopaths from from Wisconsin. Jeffrey Dahmer, Stephen Avery, and Cheese. That's, that's the whole place. Why are and you blaming Cheese? Out. Why are you blaming Cheese? It's not a person. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. Cheese is so wonderful and delicious, it all has to leave Wisconsin. None of it stays there. Hey, they have more cows than people. 
and the, and the oh, even the cows are all better looking than the people. She's <laughs> so mean. You are a mean person, man. You're not very nice. You're, you're... Well, that's what Tyler told me. <laughs> so Love maybe we should cows. send Tyler there. Maybe we we should send him there, and maybe he'll he'll win an award for ugliest person you know in the state of uh, are Wisconsin. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Tyler's a GQ model in Wisconsin. <laughs> Tyler or the cow? Which one would you say of attractiveness? Yeah. GQ. Boston <laughs> ruined Milwaukee. <laughs> Ruin them. Absolutely. With Chris Middleton out, they have no chance. <laughs> Did you just see Boston dismantle the Nets? Like, dismantle them. Paid them on the bench. The Nets couldn't beat the Celtics. Fouled out of the game. Get out of the game, Jason Tatum. Make way for, make way for Kyrie and Kevin Durant. <laughs> You, Jeff. I love you, man. You're, you're crazy. Oh, man. I love it. Jeff. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. you, you're coming on tomorrow, right? For what? Tomorrow? Tomorrow we have the mock draft. Tomorrow? We have the mock draft tomorrow. Oh, a mock draft tomorrow. That's right. It doesn't matter. I My mock draft is very simple. Gardner, Cowboys. <laughs> Aiden Hutchinson, Cowboys. <laughs> Jameson Williams, Cowboys. <laughs> They're all going. They're all going to the Cowboys. Uh, as, as, as well as, uh, you know, uh, their owner's wet farts as well, you know. I mean, it's, it's all he's got at that point. That thing's <laughs> terrible, man. I love Only you. you're laughing at that thing. I love you, man. I just love fucking with you. I, I, I love messing with you. You're, you're just so easy to get under your skin, too. Oh, I, oh yeah? Mm. It's mm-hmm. easy to get under my skin? Yeah. Who was crying in our text thread the entire time? Well, that's because of stupidity coming from you. I mean, that's just What you. do you mean stupidity? Dude, I'm, I'm not bothering you. you. Half the time New when you hit me up, when you hit me up, man, I, I'm very busy. And you, when you hit me up, you, you say these things. You post up these pictures, and I'm looking at them. I'm like, does this guy have any life? I mean, seriously, why is he doing this? I'm on on Tuesday. I'm on usually on Thursday. Not this week because the draft is on Thursday, so we moved it to Wednesday. And you just love to stick it in. You just like to, you know, take the dagger and stick it in the back and twist. That's what you like to do. What are you talking about? I just give you the facts. Yeah, you, you give me your own facts, your facts of life, which is the facts of Jeff. Why don't we just call it Jeff's facts? Uh, Jeff's facts. There we go. Oh, I, I think all he described was the dream world of Nithin. That's a you, Jeff. You forgot the most vital one. EJ Perry's going to become a franchise quarterback for the Cowboys. He says. I have him to the Patriots in the first round. EJ. Well, he says that the Cowboys are interested in him, so uh, he might be <laughs> going to the Cowboys. Does. No, he did. He sent to, he sent me a. a um, a story that the Cowboys have been really interested in him and going after him in the fifth or fourth round. Let me guess. Did, let me just make sure he didn't write that story. No, first. he didn't. <laughs> okay, actually didn't. So <laughs> he's saying that, that there was a story coming out from a very big source that uh, the Cowboys have been really uh, talent on him. So interesting. He will suck, so it'll be the perfect Cowboy. <laughs> they will suck. Well, he knows uh, his cousin, so that's a, that's a good thing. So he, he'll have his connections. So he'll be on, you know, Perry will be on his show in no time, you know? <laughs> Terrific. Well, according, according to Jeff, that's his production studio. He does everything out of his basement. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, he hasn't left that basement. <laughs> no, I like Nathan. Nathan's a good dude. 
nothing it's is just breaking a shock. When he ever sent Sauce Gardner to the Cowboys, that was <laughs> everybody thought he was nuts. But then again, they're saying Kyle Hamilton in certain mock drafts has fallen to 19, which I think is crazy, but whatever. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, yeah, I don't see him going that. I mean, listen, someone's going to fall, though. Mm-hmm. It's got to be somebody. Yeah. I'm just hoping it's Jordan Davis to 23. Let Jordan Davis get all the way to 23. Well, they're saying he could be early, but all right. Anyways, <clears throat> Jeff. You want to know what's funny? Not a lot of hype around him. He, he's not mentioned, you know, top 10, top 15. In some the people's draft I've boards, he's, is, he's in the, the top 15. The earliest I've seen him go is 17 to the Chargers. No, yeah, I, I just, which is most likely. I just said uh, the draft board that I just uh, put You had him at Atlanta, yeah. He had Atlanta that people are I also wouldn't sleep on the Eagles drafting him either because they love to draft defensive linemen in the first round. Um, they have him. Hold on. I'll, I'll tell you right now. Jordan Davis going to Atlanta at eight. That's what they're saying. Well, this guy's saying, you know. Mm-hmm. So, no, that, I mean, that clearly won't happen because Atlanta only drafts mistakes. Mm. So Jordan Davis can't be there because he's great. <laughs> Let him get to 23. He would look good in silver and blue <sighs> and red and white. Yeah, so silver and blue. Let's just specify that because you, if you don't add any other colors, that means you're also implying the Cowboys. So he can't go there. No, no, no. He's not allowed no, to lose no, there. He... <laughs> Well, the Cowboys are right over there, so. <laughs> Yo, how about that Cowboy? Dude, not for nothing, snitches get stitches. That's not my rule. That's the rule of the streets. Okay? This draft board, they're saying uh, Bernhard Raymond will be going. Central Michigan will be going to the Cowboys. Well, 24. I was going to say, how about, the, how about that Cowboy that's ratting on his friends for being in the car when they killed somebody? Hmm. Did Damn. you see that? Yeah, I heard about it. What, what was it? Is it Kelvin Joseph? Yes. Yeah. Corner, yeah. I mean, what are we doing here, folks? He's the perfect cowboy. He should have just owned up to it and been like, it's cool. Every cowboy gets to catch at least one body. <laughs> we'll get into that tomorrow, Jeff. Ask Josh Brent. <laughs> oh, God. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that tomorrow. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Speedy, you're the best. At least you're not one of those trash people from New York. You're from Connecticut. You get a pass. Goodbye, Jeff. Thank you. How wonderful. That's what I think about that. Yes, I figured that would be. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for your uh, great thoughts when it comes to this show on attacking New Yorkers, Wisconsin people. What's next? Tomorrow he'll talk. He'll attack California people, Texas people. Well, he did. He texts. He, he, he attacks te- the Cowboys. Yeah, well, that's Texas. He just attacks people. Cowboy fans. He didn't specify any other 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 Dallas sports team, but just Cowboys fans. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's it for our show. We'll be back tomorrow as, well, not as always, but um, we're usually here on Thursdays, but we're, we're moving it to Wednesday because the NFL draft is on Thursday. And I like to watch the draft, uh, you know, relaxing. So uh, we usually do a mock draft and we usually do the show. We do a live show, but not this year. Next year we will. All right. Uh, that's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Good night. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.